right. Nick DiGilio here on 720 WGN. Live in the Skyline Studio, 18 stories above beautiful downtown Chicago, here till 4 o'clock. It's a Thursday morning. Or it will be, I should say. Um, after midnight, Dan Feinberg is going to join us, a Hollywood reporter, TV critic. And uh, we'll talk to him about a bunch of TV. We're going to talk about abandoned places that no longer exist. Uh, and um, some uh, crazy celebrity endorsements as well. 312-981-7200 is the phone number if you would like to join us. Uh, my guest right now is Max Grinnell, who is the urbanologist. He's an urbanologist, and a geographer, historian, professor, and uh, raised in Seattle and Madison, Wisconsin. He was educated at the University of Chicago. He's an expert on urban design, planning, public art, and uh, the creative economy and the history of cities. Um, and we're going to talk about the history of Chicago, uh, Labor Day, and the labor movement. Um, Chicago and Illinois are uh, are a big part of the labor movement, and uh, Labor Day is uh, is Monday. So we thought we would talk about the history of labor and uh, labor movement in uh, the city and uh, the state as well. Max, hello. Nick. How are you? Thanks right. for having me back. Absolutely. Good to be here. All right. Good to talk to you. Uh, how did you become an urbanologist? Where did that give us the background? Well, it's it's an interesting story. I I was looking through one of these you know old old school you know you and I both remember these old school dictionaries and uh, it's actually at a branch of the Chicago Public Library. It's just probably almost twenty years ago. And I was slipping through, literally just looking through pages, looking at stuff I I had studied both in at the University of Chicago, and I was like, you know, how do I put those things together? And I literally came next to the word urbanology, urbanologist. And I was like, someone who studies and explores the urban condition. And I was like, well, that's me. As you said in the intro, public art, urban design, uh, community development. You know, cities are complicated, endlessly fascinating cities, uh, places, excuse me. And so I thought, boy, that's the perfect way to do it. And practical, practical background, too. Uh, Someone had already literally squatted on (laughs) urbanologist.com. So it had to be. The it had to be that I'm the, you know the only one the urbanologist right so so it all happened yeah 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 and, and as an urbanologist what exactly uh, uh, how does that work what do you do what do I do yeah sometimes people come to my talks and they say or they used to come to my talks um, where they're all on Zoom and they said what, right. what is exactly you do <laughs> um, I I've taught uh, urban studies um, both at uh, the University of Chicago. Um, uh, where I went to school and in Boston, both at Boston University and Massachusetts College of Art. So I'm in the trenches teaching um, intro to cities, uh, cities and culture, um, and and attempt to get uh, young adults and anyone else interested, both not just in a career and working around cities, but just kind of understand all the bits and pieces. You know, have students even, we'll even look at an old school classic like Richard Scarry's Busy, Busy Town and say, what does this tell us about how young people look at cities? So we, you know, how if you were to make your ideal block or sidewalk Richard Scarry style, what would you, what would you put on it? So it's kind of a gateway to, you know, I like to, you know, I like to convert the unconverted, right? You know, like who are those people like, hey, I'm walking around, say, you know, a Hegwish. I'm walking around a Pullman, which I know we'll talk about tonight. Like, what's who are the people there? You know, was it was it Mr. Rogers to tell us who are the people in your neighborhood? Yeah, that's it. You know, that's the kind of the that's the kind of the first principles of what I do. 
What cities have uh, have you found most fascinating? I mean, we're obviously going to talk about uh, Chicago tonight, but uh, what cities have you found the most fascinating to uh, to look back at? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I'm always, I, I'm, you know, all the, the, especially with all the stuff we're going through right now, it's pandemic and everything like that. I love big cities, um, Chicago, Seattle, where I was born. Um, I spent some time uh, in Morocco a number of years ago in Casablanca. But I also think the conversation in recent years has also turned to those medium-sized cities, you know. Uh, I remember when I moved to go to Chicago to go to school and being fascinated with Northwest Indiana, which listeners will know as the region, um, you know, even the kind of those mid-sized cities. And, boy, they're having a renaissance now, too. You know, your Hammonds, your Whitings. So I kind of, I don't want to, I don't want to describe them as unknown gems because, goodness, if you're in Northwest Indiana, people might refer to Hammonds, you've heard of Whiting. Yeah. But, you know, you think about these places that, um, I don't think that they're due for one reason or another. Um, Providence, Rhode Island, another one of those cities. I think it's kind of uh, people in Providence will tell you it's great, <laughs> but some people might, you know, be less familiar with these places. Um, and I think in smaller, medium-sized cities, you can kind of get to, you know, we know how this goes sometimes in Chicago. You can you kind of have a little more access, right? Maybe you know the city manager. You know, it's 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 easier to work your way around. I mean, there's still dealing with the personalities and how navigating all that. But you know, I think this is uh, one of those conversations, too. And certainly my students now, for a number of reasons, you know, price being part of it. Oh, L.A., San Francisco, even Denver now. These are places where they would have once flocked to. And now some of them looking for smaller, medium-sized cities. So, which I always say, boy, you got so many to pick from in the upper Midwest. Um, great place to start. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, the, the your website is theurbanologist dot com. Then that's me. Yeah. All right. There you go. Uh, yeah. Thanks. And if folks are interested, yeah, please take a look. Thanks, Nick. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, Labor Day is coming up, and uh, you know, this state and this city has a rich history involving the labor movement and uh, and and labor. Um, what's the real history behind Labor Day? So the, the the history behind it is that, you know, it can be traced in no small part to events surrounding um, the Haymarket, what used to be called the Haymarket Riot, Haymarket Uprising. We now generally use more objective language to, re- to describe it as the Haymarket Affair. Um, and for listeners who may, may be less familiar with that, this is part of the struggle for um, an eight-hour day, which is something that had been talked about by the Knights of Labor, and they were kind of a I don't want to describe them as a single-issue group, but they were really focused on working an eight-hour day. Um, one thing I always tell my students, we're talking about work or labor in cities, is most people, again, broad generalization uh, in the American experience, you just worked more or less, not all the time, but pretty much as long as you could, 12, 14, 15-hour day. And for a lot of people, um, until kind of labor reforms of the late 19th and early 20th century, and then really ramping up, around as a response to the Great Depression, you know, maybe you had some time after church and your or your religious service on Sunday. That was kind of your your time for rest. So people really that was one of those things that they really wanted to try to work out or work with. Um is to just think about like how do we create an eight hour day. So you have in the spring of eighteen eighty six, um kind of a lead up to what would become known as the Haymarket uh affair. And they were you know, a lot of things being 
flung by both sides. There was conversations about, you know, German Marxism, anarchists, um, and part of this was a, a part of it was tied to a strike uh, at the McCormick Reaper plant, which of course well, was in Chicago. Right. And things really started to kind of heat up um, and intensify on the night of May 4th, actually on Des Plaines Street. So, you know, uh, I guess we now call the West Loop. Um, and there's a crowd gathered. Um, and this was in uh, Mayor, eight, 1886. Yeah, 1886. Yeah. And uh, Mayor Carter Harrison was there. And he said, oh, they told police, don't disturb the meeting. Um, and, of course, you know, this kind of no one really knew what happened exactly at the time. But someone hurled a bomb at the police. One officer died right away. Police put pulled out their guns, firing all over the place. Um, when it was over, you had 60 officers injured and eight of them died. Um, and this obviously caused a lot of unrest because business leaders, lots of people in the city, were very anxious about this labor movement, right? They had been used to kind of having the upper hand. Uh, Mayor Harrison banned meetings. He banned processions. Police made picketing very difficult. Um, and so this is kind of start of this broad, this broad movement. Now, there had been strikes before, 1887, a national railroad strike. But this was really that transformative moment, Nick, where really things started to happen, where people uh, people moved people moved very quickly. And after this time period, you know, the, they put some of the so-called anarchists on trial. Um, the next year, 1887, uh, four of those defendants were were hanged in Cook County Jail. One committed suicide. Uh, hundreds of thousands of people turned out for the funeral procession for these five dead men. Um, an intense period among many intense periods in Chicago's history. Yeah. Now, now um, hold on, hold on one second, okay? We're going to take a yeah. quick break, and we want to come back and talk more about yeah. this and the uh, and the aftermath of, of uh, the Haymarket affair. Yeah, uh, no problem. Yeah, Max Grinnell is with us. He's the urbanologist, and we're talking about the history of labor and the labor movement uh, and Labor Day in Chicago. It's an important city as uh, part of it, and Labor Day is coming up this Monday. Um, we got more coming up on uh, 720 WGN. Hey, it's Nick DeGilio on 720 WGN, live in the Skyline studio, 18 stories above uh, downtown Chicago. We're here till 4 a.m. Coming up on a Thursday morning, Dan Feinberg is going to join us after midnight to talk TV, as he does uh, every couple of weeks. Right now, we're talking with Max Grinnell. He's the urbanologist. You can check out theurbanologist.com. And uh, we're talking about the history of uh, Chicago, Labor Day, and the labor movement. Labor Day is coming up on Monday. And uh, this state and uh, this city, Chicago in particular, has a very rich history when it comes to the labor movement. And we're talking about that history right now with Max Grinnell. Uh, okay, Max, uh, continue. We were talking about uh, you know what was happening right after the, the Haymarket uh, riot took place. And uh, continue where, where you were. Yeah, so the you know after the the riot, um, there was you know a trial of some of these uh, so-called anarchists at the time, uh, and after this uh, you know tremendously contested trial, um, there were legal appeals, and eventually 
The next year, uh, in November of 1887, four of the defendants were hanged in the Cook County Jail. One committed suicide. Um, lots of people turned out for the funeral procession, which would be kind of a familiar thing among other trials uh, in the labor movement. Uh, a few years later, actually in 1892, Governor Altgeld, he granted the remaining defendants a pardon. And, of course, he was criticized by members of the business community as well, too. So you had a couple things that happened after that. There had been an interest in creating a Labor Day before then. And certainly what the uh, international workers of the world seized upon at the time was to create, celebrate May 1st as May Day as a kind of international workers' holiday encompassing all workers. Um, so that was kind of part, that's kind of part of that story. Um, you know, we also think about how do we celebrate uh, Labor Day more formally. And actually, interesting enough, the same year that the those defendants uh, were, were hanged in Cook County Jail, interesting enough, Oregon was actually the first state to make Labor Day an official uh, public holiday. So that was kind of, you know, part of that wrinkle. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been a federal holiday since 1894. Um, so it, it definitely has this long history. So to say that Chicago has a key role in thinking about, you know, all these events to let up to it, um, I think is really crucial because certainly there was nothing without, <clears throat> excuse me, there was no precedent before um, these events of the Haymarket affair, um, you know, worldwide attention, hundreds of thousands of column inches in newspapers and dozens of languages, uh, both in Chicago, uh, the German press, uh, English speaking press, um, other languages and around the world. Um, and of course, as I was like, to, you know, tell, tell my students, you think about there's no radio, there's no TV. I mean, you know, those daily papers were how they, people found out about these right. things, and, you know, right. and pamphlets and uh, things of this nature. Um, so this is a really a seminal moment in thinking about, um, you know, what's kind of what's next for the laboring class, which, you know, hundreds of thousands of people, right? You think about everything from the stockyards to the steel mills um, to food processing throughout the city. I mean, all these little, all these kind of wrinkles uh, and different, and different strands in the labor movement, just like we have uh, today, whether it's, uh, you know, SEIU or Teamsters or um, textile workers. Um, but really, a lot of this um, can be traced back to the to the Haymarket affair. And mm-hmm. if, if folks are probably familiar with, if you ever if you go to the exact site um, of where the incident took place, um, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, you can find an amazing statue which kind of tells the story and actually. Uh, it was dedicated in 2003, 2004 uh, by Mayor Daly. Um, it was done by uh, Mary Brogger, who's a yep. Chicago artist. And yep. it's a, an amazing uh, sculpture. It was the speaker's wagon. I think it's, uh, I don't know, 12, 15 feet tall. Um, and, you know, finally, finally, I think workers getting their due <laughs> in 2004 um, of the people of this this affair um and it's really you know folks have the opportunity um it's a it's a wonderful sculpture it really is yeah it is it's uh it's beautiful it really it's uh, it is really beautiful i've seen it several times um and it's great and it just and it uh it really does uh you know capture what was you know what happened at that it's it's really uh powerful to be there because that's exactly where it happened yeah you think of those kind of uh those moments um in history you know we're so lucky in the city to have the, both not just the public art, but the murals that kind of capture these 
different different moments. I always think too. There's a couple interesting ones that deal with the history of the social workers um, and also other kind of labor movements right there under the tracks on 57th Street and Hyde Park, the Metro tracks. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, they've just kind of. Uh, redone or retouched up some of those murals as well too and i'm sure listeners can think of examples in their own communities um you know formal memorials sculptures uh even a plaque or two yeah uh you know in general we'll get back to uh to some historic labor day things uh in a, in a second here but you know in studying uh chicago um and you know and living here um what are some of your favorite things about this city historically and now you know, I think that a city, and I'll just, you know, I'll steal a line from Walt Whitman. You know, it, it can, it contain, it contains multitudes, and there's so many, there's so many wrinkles that I think that we're always learning more about. You know, there's been, you know, a resurgence of interest even in building materials. If you think of the type of Chicago brick, right? And of course, you know, you might go by, and if you're kind of initially less curious, you might say, "Oh my God, who cares about this brick?" Um, but it's also the history of technology. It's also the history of the materials behind it um, and the folks who made it. So like, that's kind of a little, just a small starting point. Um, I mean, I remember you know, even coming you know, kind of the, as one travels, as one does, whether it's via metro or car or plane, or I just got off a long train trip. Um, you know, you think about what you can see um, on foot and through other modes of travel just by going through um the, the city. I mean, one thing that I remember that was fascinating to me, a small thing, when I moved to Chicago, I had never seen in Seattle, you know, it was sort of more genteel. I'd never seen people double park before. And I thought to myself, <laughs> as, I was, as, I was, as I was going to get, let me see, I was going to get a Polish at Maury's Deli at 55th and Cornell in Hyde Park. Yeah. And I saw four cars double parked. Now, that's a little moment, Nick, but that's a different that's a different thing. Um, and you, I think of those kind of moments. And if you, you slow down and you take the time, and God, you know, some of us are fortunate to have a little bit more time during these times just to think about those, those type of things. I mean, even something especially we've seen during the pandemic is, you know, the role of just the, the, the difficulty of being able to move around a place. You know, you, if you go out to O'Hare on any day that, was before, like, you know, March 15th or March 20th, you know, you know, a place like O'Hare, essentially 30, 40,000 employees. Yeah. That's like a miniature city right there. I mean, it should, yeah, it really should maybe be its own community area. And everyone wants to talk about the 78. Maybe O'Hare should be the 78. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I, and I think that's one of those things. And those things coming together, just kind of thinking about the whole labor situation is, um, and you know, think about contemporary labor stuff, which is a whole that's a whole other show. Is is you know all those hundreds of thousands of people who usually had to be in close proximity to do their work, right? You know, a, qu- a quick moment just because you you now you've jogged my memory. I remember being fascinated with the stockyards, and it's funny because yeah. when I came to Chicago, I was, I was still a vegetarian from high school. Yeah, but I went there, you know, forty first and Root or whatever. And I tried all I could see the stockyards gate and behind it, the mo- not the modern equivalent, but everyone knows what it is. You've been over the stockyards the last 40 years. It's light industrial, right? Yeah. PepsiCo bottling. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and to me, that was fascinating to think about what were the lives of the men and women who worked there, black, white, Latino, uh, and other groups. 
but you know that that la- that labor um you know and of course like everyone else i ate up books like uh up to sinclair's the jungle sure um, sure yeah. and you know just those are those are those are those those are those things and i think an everyday object like a brick a piece of brick an architectural detail goodness a hot dog i mean those those tell us a lot about what Chicago has been like and also might be like uh, in the future. I have, to, I have to say I'm not a big, I eat meat now, I'm not a big veggie dog person. I, I'm not too keen on those. But yeah. other than that, I mean, those are, those are I think those are like the, some of those gateways to think about like, who, who are we? You know, who are we as a, as a city and who are we as a people? Yeah. Yeah, it's a lot to think about. Uh, it really is, and uh, and that Haymarket uh, affair really did make a huge impact, and uh, and and you know led to uh, led to what we're talking about now. Uh, Max, hold on, okay? Yeah, no problem. All right, uh, Max Grinnell is with us. He is the urbanologist. Check out theurbanologist.com. dot com, and we're talking about the history of Chicago Labor Day and the labor movement together. Uh, and uh, we'll talk more with uh, Max coming up right here on seven twenty WGN. Uh, Nick DiGilio here on 720 WGN, live in the uh, Skyline Studio, 18 stories above beautiful downtown Chicago. Coming up on a Thursday morning, Dan Feinberg joins us uh, every two weeks on Thursday mornings to talk TV, and he will be with us uh, after midnight. Uh, We're going to hear some classic comedy from uh, Johnny Carson. Uh, You can watch the Johnny Carson show every night on Antenna TV, and uh, we like to play back some comedy, whether it be a sketch or an interview, or some stand-up, and we'll hear some stand-up from 1987. Jeff Cesario, very funny guy, Jeff Cesario. Um, and uh, we're going to talk about abandoned places that no longer exist and some uh, vintage celebrity endorsements and some ridiculous celebrity endorsements as well. 312-981-7200 is the phone number. If you would like to join us, we would love to hear from you. 312-981-7200. I'm talking now... With the urbanologist, theurbanologist.com is the website. Max Grinnell is my guest, and we're talking about the history of um, Labor Day and the connection between Illinois and Chicago as well. And um, uh, Max, uh, you know, so we're moving on from the uh, from the Haymarket uh, uh, incident. Um, uh, you know, so how much in 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 the world of of labor conditions? What was it like before labor rights for the push for labor rights? What were the labor conditions like in cities? You know there were uh, you know there were no guarantees in terms of the length of the day frequently um, you know depending on whether it's piecework or not um, in terms of safety in terms of equipment sometimes in terms of formal training or apprenticeship um, something that changed a lot too with things like building trades um, and formalization of these things as professions yeah um, you know whether it's telephone maintenance repair. Um, or, you know, kind of other other related trades. So, you know, a, a very difficult life for, for most people, you know, 95% of most laborers. Um, and, of course, that was famously, as the U.S. Census classification is laborer, um, so, you know, a general, general trades person um, who would kind of be responsible for a lot of different things. And very, very little leisure time, which... You know, I saw a study a couple of years ago that shows that so 
some insane percentage of Americans never takes their own time, their own guaranteed vacation time, which to me is that's another American tragedy, Nick. Yeah, <laughs> to take up your own time that so many people um, worked hard for. And I just kind of on a personal note, my father, with all this uh, kind of uh, stuff going on with the post office, my dad was a long time. Uh, National Association of Letter Carriers, um, which is, a, is another trade that, you know, was eventually formalized and formed um, a union. So, you know, there are, you know, you would describe it as, as pretty brutal. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's kind of an it's kind of an understatement. Um, you know, people, if they had leisure time, as I was saying in an earlier segment, it's time after, sometime after religious services on Sundays. Um, or, you know, maybe a little, you know, a, a bit or piece of time here and there throughout the week, but certainly not, um, uh, a lot of, a lot of leisure time and working conditions fairly grim. You know, maybe if you're in one of kind of a small slice of trades, right? Uh, financial services, a banker, um, someone like a tradesperson who repaired musical instruments, um, you know, and these are really small slices. Yeah. Um, you might have, um, you know, remnants of a guild system or something like that. But for most folks, definitely not the case. You were, you were working. Yeah. <laughs> you were working and sometimes under, uh, you know, duress. Um, and work, if you worked outside, you're, you know, you're working a lot during the summer. <laughs> yeah. Uh, sun comes up early, goes down late. Right. Right. So conditions were not good until <laughs> conditions were, yeah, definitely, definitely not good. And so these, these moments are kind of where people, these disruptions, hay market affair, the, the Pullman strike, um, and others throughout, you know, the city's history. And there are certainly dozens of them. Um, but those are two of the very well known ones. Well, um, let, let's, uh, yeah, please. tell us about the Pullman strike, uh, if, if, for people who might not know. Well, as a as a former Amtrak employee and as a former railroad union member, I'm I'm a, and, and what they call a rail fan. Sometimes they refer to us as foamers, but it's not it's not a compliment. Um, <laughs> I've always it's more of an insult. Right, I've always right. had a fascination <laughs> with uh, with railroads. Um, so George Pullman, interesting guy, like a lot of other folks in Chicago's mid nineteenth century. Uh, history came from New England, or came from Brockton, New York, actually. So it came from the Northeast. Uh, engineer, and his first kind of thing, which some people may know about, but I always like to point out, is he was responsible for lifting buildings throughout the loop. So they'd be, you know, they'd be raised, and you would be not um, kind of, you'd not be in the muck. Tremont House is a good example of this. So that was his first career. Mm-hmm. Um, you might say first claim to fame in the city of Chicago, which gets overlooked. Because he was also worked to create uh, the Pullman Company, which you know created, which um, as folks may know, if you know a little bit about railroad history, uh, these were the cars. Uh, he wasn't the first person to invent an overnight sleeping car on the train, but these are the cars that became famously popular. You would sleep on them overnight, um, and famously, he had created some of the cars for President Lincoln's funeral train, um, the Chicago Alton Railroad. So he was kind of a big deal. Yeah. Um, and he built his own company town uh, south, of the, south of the city limits um, in the town of Pullman, not surprisingly named after himself um, <laughs> and the Pullman Palace Car Company. Um, and, you know, it was a, kind of a cat factory, fat company town, if you will. Um, 
people could live on the grounds. There was other kind of, you know, kind of this close relation, kind of paternalistic relationship between George Pullman um, and his employees. Um, wages went down during the Depression, starting um, in the 1890s, 1893, 1894. Um, the workers had appealed for support to a larger union, American Railway Union. Nothing happened, um, and the, eventually what they decided to do is create this strike so it would slow down um, the sleeping cars. Um, and eventually it crippled railroad traffic throughout the United States, um, and people were not happy about this. Uh, federal government eventually intervened, um, and even though the strike was uh, eventually broken uh, fairly quickly, actually, in the summer of 1894, um, this was uh, kind of a, a difficult, kind of a, we might call it a road to Damascus moment for George Pullman, because after that, um, it was, you know, kind of a tough time for him. Um, but at the same point, even though the people who were part of the Pullman strike did not obtain uh, what they thought was fair arbitration, it was one of these moments where it was clear that there was something kind of larger in the labor, a growing labor consciousness. Oh. Um, and of course, if you think about that, you know, what the equivalent today would be like, you know, which is, which has happened. And they certainly have talked about it in the past is, um, you know, pilots going on strike or people working at Boeing going on strike. Um, but of course, Boeing isn't making a lot of new planes right now. Yeah. Um, yeah. But this was, this would be kind of that, this is kind of that similar disruption. I guess you would say in the middle of the 20th century, you know, United Auto Workers going on strike um, to say, guess what? No more cars, or we're going to do a, we're going to do a slowdown of work. Um, interesting story too. Some of your, you and your listeners may already know about is that um, folks are interested in this history, um, and I don't think they're currently open because of the pandemic. Yeah. Uh, the Pullman site, which is made a National Historic Monument by President Obama. Uh, has a dedicated funding stream, so they're working on getting a more interpretive centers down there, or kind of uh, kind of more robust programming. Um, I know there's been talk about opening the Hotel Florence again, which, uh, like myself and friends, used to go for years to Easter Easter brunch over there. Yeah, at the Hotel yeah, yeah. Florence. Yeah. Um, so it's a great way to because you were talking about earlier, but kind of exploring Chicago, exploring cities, and getting that firsthand knowledge. It's a great way to learn about uh, labor history, um, and also just if you're <laughs> if you're interested in railroads, which seem to be having, as we say, uh, a moment again amongst many folks. Uh, so considering now that the CTA makes <laughs> now makes rail cars again in the city, um, which is exciting, or has a contract, uh, it's a great place to go and kind of learn some of this history firsthand. Um, if folks uh, are interested in checking it out, but another one of these uh, kind of tremendous moments, a, a real disruption. Um, with labor is rising up uh, against, you know, this kind of paternalistic system. Um, and of course, <laughs> more importantly, uh, reduced wages. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Uh, uh, Max, hang on. Uh, Max uh, Grinnell is here and uh, we're uh, talking about uh, the history of uh, Labor Day and the labor movement here in Illinois and particularly in Chicago. Labor Day is on Monday and uh, we have a rich, rich history uh, in that department right here uh, in the city. And we'll talk more with uh, Max right here. He is the Urbanologist. Check out theurbanologist.com. Coming up here on 720 WGN. 
right. Nick DeGilio here on 720 WGN. Live in the Skyline studio here until 4 a.m. Coming up on a Thursday morning. Dan Feinberg joins us every two weeks to talk about TV, and he'll be joining us after midnight uh, to talk TV. 312-981-7200 is the phone number if you would like to join us. We would love to hear from you. It's Labor Day on uh, Monday, and so we have an incredible rich history here uh, in both Illinois and the, st- in the city of Chicago uh, regarding the labor movement and Labor Day in general. Um, TheUrbanologist.com is the website. Max Grinnell, who has studied cities and history and all that really cool stuff, is here to uh, reminisce and talk about the, the labor history in Chicago and beyond. Uh, Max, uh, let's, uh, let's, uh, let's talk about... Uh, um, the uh, the blue collar sort of mentality that we have in this city uh, is that tied to the labor movement? You think? Yeah, I mean, so absolutely. I think that you know, you think about whether it's images presented in film, whether it's the Blues Brothers, which are they're obviously they're, they're musicians. <laughs> yeah. um, they do they do reference their union card. I will note <laughs> at one point in the movie. Yeah, they do. Um, yeah. It's famously um, and wonderfully. Uh, you know, I think it is. It's a. It's a part of. It's a part of the city's identity, and it's. You know, I. I having only been been here since the mid '90s, you know, a lot of that has changed fairly quickly. Um, if you think about what constitutes a blue collar job, right? Um, you, know, you go down to the southeast side and you see the USX Steel. Um, you know, they're still reworking on that site, but there's no, there's no labor. There's, it's a park. Yeah. Uh, among, yeah, yeah. Among other things, you think of what constitutes a blue collar job. I mean, you think of kind of the concentration of stuff over uh, near West West Side, like Teamster City, um, and kind of like where is those, where are those people laboring? And you think about the, the actual numbers, and they're they're fairly small. Um, you know, you you still you still have you know certain industries in the city you know i always tell people chicago is still a big place for food production mm-hmm. um produces more pork rinds chicharrones than any <laughs> other city in the world <laughs> i didn't know um, that i didn't know that that's amazing yeah there's there's still there's still these these moments i mean you know you think of other things which is for a variety of trade agreements et cetera. you know goodbye goodbye volume candy industry right ferrara brock's what do they blow up the Brock's factory for one of the Batman movies? Yeah. Um, so some of those things, if you consider candy workers blue collar and definitely work, people working with their hands, but you know the other kind of the other those other jobs, a lot of them have changed, and I think this will be a challenge for labor going forward. Labor unions, and we see it already, is you know you're 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 not you're not you know late you're not fighting necessarily business or government or lack of intervention too much intervention but you know you're going up against algorithms <laughs> you know what are you you're going up against apps um yeah that's that's the kind of that's the kind of harder <laughs> that'd be a whole nother show but i think that's but i think it is you know people really seek it out i mean people want to you know they want to experience the that kind of that blue collar kind of experience in Chicago, I think it's harder. I mean, I know it's harder to find. Yeah. Um, you know, you think about kind of whether it's associations with kind of people going to a tavern or whatever, you know, uh, second, third shifters. I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of change, even the kind of those, those social spaces right now, you're more likely to find, I don't know, expensive, tasty menus on a rooftop. If you, find, if you can find yeah. a rooftop bar that's open. Yeah. Um, 
so I think there's that there's that kind of shift in the change and decline in those in those those professions, or they or they happen. They're kind of they're hidden from us, right? And I always tell people, and I, uh, the place I'm fascinated with, you asked me kind of that question about. There's always something new. I had never walked on foot around Elk Grove Village. Some people listening probably know that Elk Grove Village has one of the world's largest industrial parks. Massive, mm-hmm. right? So there's work going on out there near O'Hare to support various industry, but you know we don't really we don't really see it. You know, it's not you know men or women out there. You know, whether it's you know kind of performing manual labor or physical labor. You know, and, and I think the the fabric of the city has changed much as well. You know, think about you know over a third of the city is Hispanic or Latino, Latinx. Um, you know, that, that work has changed a lot too. You know, you might think of blue collar work as being landscapers, gardeners. Um, but yeah, I know people crave it. I mean, people, you know, it's such a big thing and you know this so well through, through movies, through songs. Um, and you know, in some industries it's still there, you know, food processing and a few other places, but you know, you know, you'll still encounter people. I've still encountered people who want to, who want to see a steel steel mill or something like that? It's it's like well, that's that's really hard to find in the city limits. Yeah, um, but there's certainly people. You know, there's people working. There's people. There's people out there doing all these jobs. I mean, I think of well, building trades. Um, you know, so those are still really um, those are still really robust places where you might see work like that. But those things that you think of, you know, obviously no more stockyards, steel mills, these kind of, you know, you, you can sort of see some of the railroad stuff. If you go down to South Lumber Street, South of Roosevelt Road, yeah. um, that, might be, that might be trespassing, so don't, please don't go into it anymore. <laughs> right, um, right. But you, but you certainly, you know, you get, you get a little sense of it. When I, you know, when I was in uh, Union Station two days ago, jumping on the Amtrak or coming off one Amtrak again, the other, you, you you see, uh, you know, some pe- you know people doing track work inside the station and things like that. So it's still, it's still there. There's just a lot less of it. Yeah, that's yeah, true. It's <laughs> a lot true. Less of it. But I mean, I think to the rest of the to the to the rest of the world, Chicago has a very very blue collar, you know, uh, uh, representation. You know, I think it's a, they, I think people outside of Chicago think of us as a very blue collar city. Yeah. Oh, ab- absolutely. I think there's that people identify it with like they identify with the, you know, the blues or kind of more, you know, kind of more contemporary artists, whether it's, you know, uh, Kanye or common. Um, and that kind of, that's, that's really part of the city's fabric. I mean, that's, that's something that I think is, it's, it's, a, it's one of these kind of intense traces that's still there and people people want to believe that it's i mean it's like the people who go on like the gangland tours the capone stuff like people want to even if you're driving by the the vacant lot next to the you know the senior citizen housing on uh, north clark street where the same valentine's day massacre occurred and there's nothing to look at people want to yeah i know the city would prefer that people no one come and do that but um people People want to believe in that past, and they want that connection. You mentioned the guest here who's going to be talking about abandoned structures and, and you know, forgotten or lesser-known places. Like, yeah. people are people really want that kind of connection. I mean, we're so lucky in Chicago to have those places where you can uh, connect with that. And I think that's a nice thing about both the Haymarket 
sculpture and really in a like a robust three-dimensional way um, what remains in Pullman, which is pretty staggering. Um, I remember uh, when I was in school at the University of Chicago when they, the, the call came out um, that the, some of the buildings had been set on fire, as probably many folks remember. I think it was 99, and uh, a, a tragedy, but still there's so much of that site where people can experience that aspect of Chicago labor history and American history. Yeah. Um, it's, it's such a, it's such an amazing site. And Pullman's such a great, great, great place for folks who haven't been and folks who haven't been in a while. There's um, a lot of great stuff uh, going on, going on there. And of course now it's, it's actually kind of hard to, you know, with all the changes in regulations to, to go out and see any of the stuff. You know, famously the Tootsie Roll factory, which is a, privately since you a privately held company out yeah. by midway right um you can't take tours because of you know <clears throat> industrial espionage, espionage and osha regulation so it's kind of hard to see some of these things uh happening it's all there i just think sometimes because of the way that work now works um kind of hard to hard to actually see it nick as yeah. i think about it yeah yeah uh, Max, it's uh, it's great talking to you, man. Uh, check out theurbanologist.com dot com, um, and uh, and have a great Labor Day. Yeah, thank you so much, Nick. Okay. Be well, and uh, same to you. Okay, buddy, take care. Uh, Max Grinnell is the urbanologist. theurbanologist.com, dot uh, com, discussing the history of this city and this state. Uh, it's rich history in terms of uh, labor movements and uh, in terms of Labor Day. Uh, interesting, uh, really fascinating guy, Max. He's got uh, a ton of uh, of historical knowledge, um, and you should check out his website, theurbanologist.com. Okay, it's Nick DeGilio on WGN. All right. Hey, it's Nick DiGilio on 720 WGN, live in the Skyline Studio, 18 stories above beautiful downtown Chicago, and we're here until 4. At 4, we head over to the TV side of WGN, Channel 9, uh, and get the early morning news from that group, and then the uh, the great uh, uh, Bob Surratt is on at uh, 5. 312-981-7200 is the phone number if you would like to join us. If you have any TV questions or comments, now would be the time to call us. 312-981-7200. Dan Feinberg, TV critic for The Hollywood Reporter, joins us uh, every couple of weeks to talk TV. You can follow him at The Fine Print, F-I-E-N. And uh, let's say hello to Dan. Hello, Dan. Hello, Nick. How are you? Oh, one foot in front of the other. How are you holding up, sir? <laughs> pretty good. Pretty good. Uh, always a lot of TV to talk about. And um, the truth. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it's always been it's it's always busy. A lot, you know, and again, lots of people spending time at home watching TV, binging on stuff. Uh, and uh, if you want to jump in with a question or a comment, we would love to hear from you. It's 312-981-7200. This is the Team Hockberg phone line. 312-981-7200. All right, Dan, uh, shall we begin with, let's start where with, you want to start. Let's start with the boys. Um, boys season two. 
Boys Season 2. I believe last time I was on, uh, we had a caller ask about that one. Maybe it was the time before that. Mm-hmm. Hard to keep everything together. It's all yeah. a blur. I think, it was, <laughs> I think it was the last time you were here. Uh, season two of The Boys premieres on Friday on Amazon. And for people who don't remember what The Boys is, uh, it is based on a very popular comic book series. And it is yet another of these um, kind of oddball superhero team-up things. In this case, it's set in a world in which superheroes are acknowledged to exist, and they're kind of owned and operated by a large and probably nefarious corporation, because mm. what corporations are not that? Uh, and in the first season, which premiered last year, there was the discovery that the superheroism was tied to a chemical compound from the large nefarious corporation, and the second season is largely focused on trying to keep that secret to co- from coming out and other things of that note. Uh, and as I think I mentioned last time, there are a lot of these shows. There's DC's Legends of Tomorrow on CW. There's Umbrella Academy on Netflix. There's Doom Patrol on, I guess now it's HBO Max slash DC Universe. And the premise of all of them is they're dysfunctional family of superheroes. And so they bicker, and it's kind of iconoclastic, so it's not the Avengers. And this is probably the most sarcastic, most sardonic, most cynical of the mismatched superhero team-up shows. And as such, I think it's an interesting show. I think it continues to be a clever show. I wish it was a smarter show. It's it's a show that's very, very on the nose with how it's tying its superheroes in with our modern world. So there's a lot of Trump undertones. There's a lot of corporate distrust undertones. And it's a show that's very deeply invested in its gore effects. It is definitely an R-rated superhero show. Lots of swearing, lots of people exploding. And the second season, I would say it was of a piece with the first. So if you enjoyed The Boys, you will absolutely enjoy the second season of The Boys. But if you didn't love the tone of the first season or tuned it out, it doesn't suddenly get better in the second season. So that's where I would put things on the boys. Uh, well, who's behind this uh, creatively? Well, the um, the comic was created by Garth Ennis and Derek Robertson, and the TV series is run by Eric Kripke, who people know from Supernatural and several other shows of that ilk. Uh, Revolution on NBC, I believe, was another one that he created or co-created. And it's, it's a very good and deep ensemble cast. I would say probably too much. The first season was eight episodes. The second season is eight episodes. But this is a superhero show in which in the second season, five of eight episodes, I think, were over an hour. And that, to me, seems unnecessary. Uh, But what do I know? Um, It's it's an interesting cast. Carl Urban, uh, Jack Quaid with his distracting resemblance to his father and occasionally his mother. Um, Other various very talented actors, and some of them get to do some very fun things. This is the rare streaming show that I have the next five weeks after. There you go. Okay, so that's The Boys Season 2, and it's on Amazon. Uh, Dan, hang on. Sure. 
Uh, Dan Feinberg is with us, TV critic for The Hollywood Reporter. You can follow him at The Fine Print, F-I-E-N. Uh, and uh, we'd love to hear from you if you have a, a question or a comment concerning television. 312-981-7200. Right here on 720 WGN. All right. Yeah, Nick DeGilio here on 720 WGN. We are live in the Skyline studio, 18 stories above uh, beautiful downtown Chicago. We are here until 4 o'clock, and uh, it is uh, Thursday morning. 312-981-7200 is the phone number if you have a question or a comment concerning television. We're talking with Dan Feinberg, TV critic for The Hollywood Reporter, who joins us uh, bi-weekly to chat about television. Uh, you can follow him at the fine print, F-I-E-N. All right, Dan. Hey, are you watching Big Brother? <sighs> yes, I am, and I'm not really sure why, but I'm also watching Love Island, and that's just a lot of CBS reality trash at once, but Big Brother is is not making me happy yet this season. How about you? Uh, I I can't even imagine watching Love Island. Uh, so I, 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 they they advertise they advertise the hell out of it during Big Brother. Um, I have not watched last night's Big Brother episode. I will watch it when I get home in the morning. Um, I'm, it's it's underwhelming to say the least. Uh, my favorite um, my my you know my favorite uh, house guest got eliminated in the second week. Um, I like Nicole with the glasses. She, I always, I, I liked her. Uh, I guess I'm rooting for Christmas. I guess that's the the person I'm rooting for. I, I don't even know that I have that much. There, there's, there. It's just not a very good selection of all stars, and then all of the, all of the different relationships coming into the season, and the and the alliances that already existed, and the desire for whatever reason to take out the old school players first, and all of that. It, it's just not exciting. I mean, look, Love Island is utter trash. Yeah. But at least it's funny trash. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, you know, and and sometimes even intentionally, uh the the whole, the whole gimmick is that yes, the people on the show are ridiculous, but there's a very funny wry voiceover that goes through constantly and that's usually good for a few laps per episode. Mm. On the other hand, it's basically every night and a little bit like as i mentioned about episodes of boys going over an hour it, that's that's excessive but it's you can have it on in the background and yeah but it's and at this point it's better than big brother big brother has been this is not a good all-star season really disappointing okay uh so is, is love island i mean is is there what's the difference between love island and like temptation island um well love island is to, all of the various different island shows have had vague similarities. There was also Paradise Hotel that has had several incarnations that was very similar. It's it's basically a pair up or die premise, uh, and this season is a little bit strange because they can't do it on an island. Instead, they're doing on on the rooftop of a hotel in Las Vegas, and that's just how they're doing it. So it's it's these uh, pretty stupid hard bodies on a AstroTurf-covered rooftop in Las Vegas 
working out, swimming in a swimming pool, and hooking up. And that's basically what it is. It, it's not a particularly intellectual show, um, <laughs> but but I think it's I think it's easier to dismiss it and therefore to have it as kind of background than Big Brother, where you at least have the temptation to kind of be paying attention to who's in alliances with who and whether or not it matters. Yeah. Whereas on Love Island, none of it matters, and that's almost a relief. <laughs> okay. All right. So there you go. Love Island. And how many nights a week is that on? A zillion. It's like five. It is legitimately on maybe five, possibly even six. Maybe one of the nights is a recap. I think Saturday night might be a recap. But it, it seems to be constantly on. It's wow. just always there. It, it's bizarre. And um, the people who love the British version and the Australian version insist that those are better and probably they are but yeah those those seasons the australian and british seasons are like 57 episodes per season so if you wanted to catch up on hulu it's all there Jeez. and i don't know why i don't know why you would want to do that 57 episodes yeah because it just kind of goes on forever there's there's no reason for it there's there's technically no reason for a season of love island to ever end uh, you know there's just people <laughs> recycling through partnerships sun tanning and doing crunches that's all it is, it is. And like it, it, it makes big brother look active it makes big brother look like they're constantly doing things they're not doing anything on love island it's unreal and yet that's what the premise of the show is now, so, do, do, do do people get eliminated Yes, uh, because basically every couple, every week there's a recoupling. So people have to, this because they have to share beds. And every week uh, their power shifts between the men and the women. And so uh, if you don't have someone who wants to couple with you, you're out. And then they bring in new people, and that shuffles everything around again. It's seriously a gigantic petri dish it's like herpes on your tv which <laughs> makes it even stranger because it's taking place during a pandemic yeah. so everyone are, everyone's arriving at this rooftop casino going my god it's been so long since i've hugged another human being it's really not it's, it's not good tv and i hope i'm doing a great job of selling it to people who are on the fence <laughs> <laughs> uh you, you I, I wasn't on the fence and i'm but but uh, it yeah it didn't change my mind that's uh, what I'm here for, Nick. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, I mean, even the in the you know, because I mean, it's constant. Obviously, when you're watching Big Brother, if you're watching Big Brother, um, you know, live, you'll see a, a ton of commercials for this Love Island. Uh, um, and it's it just I as soon as I saw it, I was like, no, uh, that's not for. And me. under different circumstances, a it would have started earlier in the summer, and so it would be coming to an end by now. Everything would be coming to an end by now because it would be time for the fall TV season to be starting in two weeks, and right. instead, not really happening. And so it only started two weeks ago, maybe three, and so it's going to go into deep September, and CBS is just like, yay, it gives us lots of filler programming, and that's the best thing you can say about it. Okay. All right, that's Love Island for everybody who's interested. (laughs) All right. Uh, Here's Ann on WGN. Hi, Ann. Hey. Well, I certainly am not interested in that show Love Island, but I think I have a thought-provoking question. So I have um, been, you know, watching stuff on Netflix and some of those other channels, and it's like awesome 
uh, really great shows with big stars and all of that. So my question is, how soon is it and why is it also that we haven't been forced to watch advertisements on those uh, networks, if you want to call them that, because obviously those shows they produce and the stars that are on them, uh, that costs a lot of money. Well, and, you're, well, and you're paying for the service, though. You know what I mean? So that's how they're making their not money. Very, not very much. Well, I know, but that's more than free I television. Pay for cable. <laughs> I pay for cable TV also. Right. And I have to watch advertisements. So maybe I'm just dumb and I don't really understand how it works. But I thought it was a really good question. Uh, Dan, talk a little bit about well, the, how the streaming services I, I, work. Well, I think the I think the answer is that everyone is try, is that all of these services are trying to figure out different ways to stay in business, and so I think Anne is actually asking a very good question because you see the way Hulu, for example, it started off entirely free. There, it was free in commercials, and you could get rid of the commercials if you wanted. Now you have to pay a little bit to get commercial with commercials, and then you have to pay a little bit more to get commercial free. So. That was a shift in their initial business model. You look at something like Peacock, and Peacock has, then that's the NBC Universal streaming service. Right, right. And you can you can watch it for free, and you get commercials, but you don't get all the shows you want. You get whatever they want to give you for that free with commercial tier, and then you have to pay a little bit more for one assortment of things, and then a little bit more to get everything and to get it without commercials. So everyone is trying to figure out basically what the pain threshold is. And that was the excitement as Hulu, not as Hulu, as uh, Peacock put it when they came out, was they announced, guess what? The price is free. And of course, there's an asterisk next to it. It's free, but only if you want blah, blah, blah. All of these services are finding exactly what they can do before people tap out. And so the price point of Apple TV Plus is fairly low, but the amount of content you're getting is fairly low. Uh, The price point of Disney Plus is a little bit higher, and you're not getting many originals, but you're getting a ton of library content, so that's what that price is. But then this weekend, Disney Plus is doing this interesting and experimental new thing where uh, they're making Mulan, the new live-action version of Mulan, available but you have to pay, I think it's $30 for it. Yeah, 30. And it becomes And it becomes yours permanently as part of your Disney Plus account, so you can watch it as many times as you want. But you're already paying for the service, and then you're paying additionally to get this particular content. So it's all of these different ways that the services are finding to change around the money so that it looks to you like you're paying less and so it looks to you like you might be paying absolutely nothing but then you start going well okay but these commercials are really annoying to me so there's another five dollars but okay there's still two commercials right have another two dollars get rid of it it's it's a it is a constantly shifting marketplace because everyone is trying to figure out exactly how much viewers are willing to tolerate right and what they're willing to put up with for free and what they're willing to pay for so it's I think it's an interesting question. It really yeah. is. Okay. Uh, and thanks for the call. Dan, hold on. 
Sure. Dan Feinberg is with us. Uh, and thank you for the call. And uh, we'll get back to talking with Dan Feinberg from The Hollywood Reporter. More TV stuff. You want to jump in? 312-981-7200. Let's get to the news. Hey, Nick DeGilio here on 720 WGN, live in the Skyline studio here until 4 o'clock. It's a Thursday morning. Uh, Coming up, uh, we are going to talk about some abandoned places that no longer exist, Uh, funniest and weirdest celebrity endorsements as well, Um, and uh, we got some Carson comedy classics. You can watch the Johnny Carson show every night at Antenna TV which I suggest you do because it's awesome. And we always play some comedy from uh, the Johnny Carson show. Sometimes it's an interview, sometimes it's a sketch, and sometimes it's stand-up. And we got some stand-up from 1987 with the very funny Jeff Cesario. Jeff Cesario. All right. Uh, 312-981-7200. That's our phone number. If you would like to join us, we would love to hear from you. We're talking TV. Dan Feinberg. TV critic for The Hollywood Reporter. You can follow him at The Fine Print, F-I-E-N. He joins us bi-weekly to talk TV, and there's always a lot of TV to talk about. Hello, Dan. Hello, Nick. All right, we have another caller here. Uh, if you want to jump in, you got a question or a comment concerning television, 312-981-7200. Here's Gail on WGN. Go ahead, Gail. Hi. Uh, maybe this is a dumb question. I'm an avid watcher of NCIS. And Tuesday night I tune in, and I know it's summer, and they play reruns. But goodness gracious, they have played the same show three times in three months. Can't they pick more than the same show to keep on repeating? (laughs) It's a a good question. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know what the logic is on that. I mean, at some point back in the day, it used to be as simple as they would play this, basically replay the season close to in order. Right. Not exactly. But, you know, that was the way of saying if you missed this season, you can catch up. Um, I I don't know. I wonder wonder if it had anything to do with the various different conventions the past couple weeks that have caused them to not necessarily know what the exact uh, running time of different DNC and RNC events were, and if that caused them to simply say, okay, we don't know what we're going to do, and they might have, I don't want to say they accidentally plugged in the same episode three weeks in a row, because that makes very little sense, but they might not have necessarily known which episodes played in their entirety in each market. Uh, (laughs) that, that That would be my guess. It's just that the schedule gets really weird in the summer, and because of the live events of the past few weeks, it might genuinely just have made a mess of the programming schedule. Yeah, that could that could be it, Gail. Gotcha. Okay, thanks, Gail. Thank you. All right. Yep. People love that NCIS, don't they? They do. It goes it's like season season seventy five or something it goes on forever, <laughs> and and people love it. And it you know in today's TV world, the audience it draws is massive. So and, yeah, I, 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 which one is that? The one that's on right now? That's it's. There are three. There still are three of them. Oh, there are. NCIS, NCIS LA, and NCIS New Orleans are all, I believe, currently still on. Wow. Okay. 
Well, okay, there we go. It is NCIS's world we just live in. That's exactly right. <laughs> All right, uh, if you have a TV question or comment, Dan Feinberg is here. You can follow him at the fine print, F-I-E-N, um, TV critic for The Hollywood Reporter, 312-981-7200. All right, new NBC medical drama, like we needed a new medical drama. Um, transplant, you know, the, the transplant is what it's called. Um, the, I mean, the medical drama has been around for ever and and there's always been multiple medical dramas on it's really you know one of the most popular and successful uh genres on television right certainly medical dramas police dramas and uh and well and, le- and legal dramas are the go-tos for television and I-, I would say that in recent years the medical drama has been on i don't want to say a wane because they're still out there, but it hasn't been as popular. Definitely, it kind of it peaked when Chicago Hope and ER premiered in the same year, and they were both massive hits. ER, yeah. a massive, massive hit, and yeah. Chicago Hope, a big hit. Yeah. Um, and so, obviously, there you know there there are always medical dramas, but I would say that, especially given what the last handful of months have been in terms of original programming in general. Uh, Transplant, which premiered on NBC this week, almost comes across as refreshingly old-fashioned and solidly above average in a genre that some people love and that maybe they don't get at this exact moment because, you know, Grey's Anatomy will come back at some point, but it will have to resume production for that to happen, and that's a show that people worship and, you know, going into season 17, I believe, which is remarkable also uh, and continuing to be just a massive hit uh but yeah so transplant is a canadian acquisition it was a very large hit in canada and it's part of basically how nbc is going to be spinning its wheels for the next few months everyone's got to be figuring out their own way to to keep the lights on until production can resume and programming can come back. And right. so the ability to acquire 13 episodes or 10 episodes of a Canadian show that's already in the can and that already did well elsewhere, you know, that's an advantage. And Transplant, the premise is that it's about a uh, a Syrian refugee who is also a doctor, was a doctor back in his home country, uh, but now has to basically restart his residency over again at a Toronto hospital, and he has a particular set of skills, uh, which has been basically honed with a lot of field and emergency medicine in the middle of an ongoing civil war in Syria. And so he is resourceful, but doesn't necessarily always follow the chain of command or orders, and that causes tension. But the the premiere, which premiered this week, is a, is a really actually a very, very good network pilot. I, I, I enjoyed it quite a bit. Um, it sets up this character who, as the series begins, is working at a Middle Eastern restaurant in Toronto because he can't get his paper straight to work at a hospital in Canada. And after a, a horrible accident with a truck barreling into uh, the restaurant, he saves several lives and proves his metal, um, his metal, and eventually he will get a job at the hospital. Spoiler alert. Um, the series is not as exciting after the first episode, but, uh, you know, an above-average medical drama will always make somebody happy. And this is, it, you know, the cases are fairly familiar. The structure of episodes are fairly familiar. It's got little bits of house. It's got little bits of ER. 
John Hanna's probably the most recognizable actor in the cast, and he's playing a character who's basically House, a nicer version of Dr. House, but only slightly. Uh, yeah, and the the main actor, uh, Hamza Haq, is a uh, Canadian actor by way of Saudi Arabia and Pakistan, and he's a very, very solid actor, and the whole cast is generally solid. Like, I'm just going to keep repeating solid, because it's what it is, and a lot of a lot of procedurals on broadcast television are below average. They do less than what you need a TV show like this to do, and this does slightly more. The main character is an interesting, nuanced character. He's a practicing Muslim. He has trauma from his experiences in Syria. These things all inform the way that he does medicine. So, yeah, it's if, if you are a fan of medical dramas and broadcast TV medical dramas, you really should check out Transplant. It's it's better than average. Okay. And uh, you said it, it it aired in Canada already, this uh, this whole season. Is, is it going for another it, season? Um, yes. It was renewed in Canada back in the summer, and it was a, a fairly large uh, hit by Canadian TV standards and was well-received by the Canadian press. And so NBC knew that there was some audience responsiveness, and it's, it's very Canadian. You know, it's set in Toronto, and so... Set in Toronto, filmed in Montreal, and there's nothing wrong with that. And yeah, I, I, I've seen five episodes and was generally entertained. I, I was pleasantly surprised. By okay, this one. all right. So that's Transplant, a solid medical drama. Uh, Tuesday nights at nine o'clock uh, Central, and it premiered uh, the, just this past Tuesday. So there Indeed. it is. That's Transplant. Okay, Dan, hang on. Sure. Uh, we've got people calling in, and if you have a question or a comment concerning television, Dan Feinberg is with us, 312-981-7200. More TV talk and your calls coming up right here on 720 WGN. Nick DeGilio here on 720 WGN. We are live in the Skyline studio. We're here until 4 o'clock as we are every weekday morning, 11 p.m. to 4 a.m. I'm your overnight dude. Uh, and uh, we're continuing our conversation uh, with Dan Feinberg, TV critic from The Hollywood Reporter. He joins us every two weeks to talk TV. And if you'd like to join us, it's 312-981-7200. The news is next from the Northwestern Medicine Newsroom. Let's get Dan back in here. Hello, Dan. Hello, Nick. All right. Let's see. We've got a couple people who are on the line, have questions or comments. Here's Sean on WGN. Go ahead, Sean. Hey, Nick. How are you doing? Love your show. All right. Thanks. Hey, hey Dan. Uh, do you think that, you know, you know how, like, all these new movies are coming out on these streaming devices, you know, where $30 a pop? Do you think that's the end of the movie theaters? I just wanted to see, hear your opinion on it. I don't think it's the end of the movie theaters, but I definitely think it is a, a change in the system. And uh, I think changes in the system are healthy. Uh, I think that this allows more movies to get certain kinds of exposure. Um, the problem with the theatrical movie experience is that some people are terrified to return to movie theaters at this particular moment. Yeah. And, uh, you know, speaking for me personally, I don't know when I next see myself going to 
Expo movie theater, when I next feel assured that my local movie theater chain is doing the things they need to do to keep people safe. So, right, right. Um, so no more like, overpriced nachos. <laughs> All right, thanks, Dan. Appreciate All right, it. take care. Yeah, it's it's a, it's it's very strange. It's it is very strange. I mean, I've been to a movie theater in months. So, uh, well, I mean, who who has? Yeah. Though I guess they they are reopening uh, gradually. Some places in L.A. currently not. The only way to see a movie in Los Angeles proper right now is the various drive-ins, which have you know experienced a a resurgence in the past couple months. Which yeah. on one hand is nice because the drive-in experience is cool but on the other hand when you think about it what it represents it's a little terrifying yeah. and chilling yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it is it's a, it's a very strange time uh here's lisa on wgn uh go ahead lisa hi uh, nick hi dan i was just wondering if you have any information on the i think it's called the legend of bly manor the sequel to the haunting of hill house on netflix dan do you know about this is uh, Mike Flanagan's follow-up to Haunting of Hill House, uh, Haunting of Bly Bly Manor, and it's coming in uh, October, and it actually thankfully did finish production before... before all of this began so yeah. you know the full the full show is going to be ready and it's it's based on the turn of the screw by henry james and it has a lot of the same cast uh from the haunting of hill house so henry thomas uh victoria pedretti folks like that and then a few new additions and i'm looking forward to it because i thought that haunting of hill house was really good for what it was and i think mike flanagan is is a very talented writer director i agree i agree i thought the honey hill house was terrific and, I, and if it's and if this is half as good it'll be really it'll be really good but it it, uh, it it'll it'll air in october uh lisa okay great okay thanks. thank you so much okay yeah good stuff hey uh let, let's talk about hoops we can, but then we can forget about it just as quickly because Hoops is probably, I would say, close to one of the biggest duds Netflix has had. Really? I don't want to say ever because they've definitely had duds, but if you look it, at it over on uh, on Metacritic, it's comfortably in the red, and it's hard to get in the red on Metacritic. I think last time I checked, it was it was at 35% on Metacritic or something. Which yeah. Is, well, you know what? By the way, as I as I even mentioned the title when I said let's talk about hoops, the look on my producer's face uh, was just he was shaking his head uh, and and you know not happy. Uh, have you watched Have you watched Hoops, Tom? I have. I I watched a little bit of it and then I went back to living my life. Um, it's it's so it is painfully unfunny. There's things that are not funny, like The Big Bang Theory is not funny. Right. That's not a funny show. It's not. Um it's it ha- thank God they have canned laughter because I'm not sure anybody would l- laugh unless someone told them to. Um Hoops is just painfully unfunny. It is hard to watch. It makes me sad that I have eyes because <laughs> I wasted my time watching something um that just uninspired and just not just trying to cash in on adult cartoons when in a world we have things like Bob's Burgers, which is consistently outside of adult cartoon, you know, uh, regular animated cartoons. 
uh, is one of the most consistent shows to ever air on television. It is consistently funny. It is consistently good. Is every episode spectacular? No, but it's at the very least competent and has a reason to like exist. Hoops has virtually zero reason to exist. And now, I'm a little who, bit upset that it does. Who's behind this? <laughs> who, who, who's, who's behind this show? Now, the thing I'll say, Tom, is that if you wasted however much time you watch, wasted to watch a couple episodes, you, you totally want to waste a little bit more time. Because let me tell you, it doesn't get good in the second half of the season, but it does get a hair less bad. So, <laughs> oh, good. So like, that's, a, that's a hell of a recommendation right there. So if you've wasted the time already... Like, it's one thing to say it's horrible. And let me tell you, the first few episodes of Hoops are, are very, very bad, without any question. It is, it is all, oh, look, we're swearing a lot, and ha, 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 isn't it funny? And we're also being politically incorrect, making fun of these dorky kids on a high school basketball team, ha, ha, ha. Um, and, that, and that's all it is. You know, there's, there's no punchlines other than ha, 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 we're swearing. Yeah. Um, the, the second half of the season has a few things that I, I did find funny, and, and, and a couple of them, they made some of the characters a tiny bit more likable. Would I suggest that anyone sit through the first five episodes to get to the last five? No, because life is just too short. And, and yeah. Netflix, as, as Tom said, Netflix is full of adult comedy. If, you, if you're watching Hoops, you had darn well better have already watched BoJack. You had better have watched uh, Big Mouth. You had better have watched uh is for Family. If you've watched all those shows, then maybe you need to read a book. Like, I, I'm saying there are so many things yeah. you can do with your time instead of that. Uh, but they, you know, it, it's a very good vocal cast. Uh, I know. I'm looking at, the, think, I'm looking at the, the credits right now. Jake Johnson, Rob Riggle, Ron Funches, Natasha Leggero. I mean, these are talented, talented people. But if you go and you look at my review, I had to lead with how much I like Ron Funches because I, I wanted to I wanted to go with something positive. And I like Ron Funches so much. He makes me laugh no matter what he does. I agree. And he is easily the most likable part of this show, and he's not in any way the focus of the show. And definitely one should not watch it for him. Uh, the one should, I mean, again, speaking of, of adult animation, you know, take time and watch Hartley Quinn on HBO Max. It's tremendous. It, it is so good and so raunchy and so funny, and Ron Funches is in that, and he's much better there. Uh, yeah, it's it's just a dud. The second half really does have... There's, there was one episode that I thought was actually good, and there was one episode featuring Will Forte as a guru who licks toads that I chuckled at once or <laughs> twice because because that is a sentence that where if I say it out loud you laugh at. Yeah, it. Well, yeah, there there are talented people involved in this show though. It is it's created by Ben Hoffman, but the executive producers do include Phil Lord and Christopher Miller, and they are pretty reliable as such things go. Uh, this is this is a big misstep for them, and I would be astonished if it got a second season, because okay. Netflix is not accustomed to reviews as negative as they got on this one. Yeah. Wow, okay, so yeah, the, the look on Tom's face when I mentioned it. <laughs> yeah, well, I, that's weird, because Ben Hoffman is Wheeler Walker Jr. Indeed. I did well, not know that. Also, and if you and if you keep watching, 
um, or if you actually sort of pay attention with that with that part of your brain hooked in. Uh, there are songs that he co-wrote with his brother um, that pop up here and there and over the credits and stuff that are songs that sound like Wheeler Walker Jr. songs. And if people don't, there there are good songs though. If people don't know Wheeler Walker, uh, he's a semi-satirical country artist where they're legitimate country songs, except that they're really raunchy and funny. Uh, <laughs> They, they pop up here. There are songs of his that pop up here. They are also funny. There are musical moments. It's just, if you want to talk about putting your worst foot forward, that is what Hoops does. Oh, man. It, like, the number of people who I've talked to who who checked out after one episode, or in some cases, 10 minutes, <laughs> it, lots of people, and... Again, I swear the second half of the season is less bad. Okay, that's a that's a that's a ringing endorsement right there, Dan. Darn straight. Okay, <laughs> hold on a second. <laughs> Dan Feinberg is hanging out with us. If you want to jump in, you got uh, TV comment, TV question. Dan is here. Three one two nine eight one seven two hundred. Three one two nine eight one seven two hundred. We'll continue our conversation with Dan Feinberg. Uh, and you can follow him, uh, and you should follow him uh, at the Fine Print. That's F I E N, where you can get all his reviews and commentary and all kinds of great stuff. And we'll continue with our uh, with our conversation with Dan uh, about television um, after we break for the news. Three one two nine eight one seven two hundred. Let's get to that news. Yeah, it's uh, Nick DeGilio on 720 WGN. We are live in the Skyline studio here uh, in downtown Chicago here until 4 o'clock, as we are every uh, weekday night into the morning, 11 p.m. to 4 a.m. Coming up uh, in a little bit, we're going to talk about some uh, celebrity endorsements, some vintage ones, some funny ones, and some weird ones, and abandoned places that no longer exist. And we've got some uh, Carson comedy classics that we always play. You can watch the Johnny Carson Show every night on Antenna TV. And we're going to go back to 1987 for some stand-up from Jeff Cesario. Very funny guy. 312-981-7200. That's our phone number if you'd like to join us. That's the Team Hochberg phone line. And uh, my guest right now is Dan Feinberg. He joins us every couple of weeks to talk TV. Always a lot of TV to talk about. He is a TV critic for The Hollywood Reporter, and you can follow him at The Fine Print, F-I-E-N. And we say hello again to Dan. Hi, Dan. Hi, Nick. Okay, we got a couple more people who are calling in. Um, here's Michelle on WGN. Go ahead, Michelle. Yes, hi, Dan. I was calling about the show on Hulu called What We Do in the Shadows. I, I binge-watched it uh, a few months ago through the first season, and I was just curious to know when the next season might be coming out due to the limitations with productions because of COVID. Uh, well, there have been two seasons of What We Do in the Shadows now, which is technically FX. But it's a, yeah, it's an, it's, an, it's an FX show, yeah. But, but goes to Hulu quickly because yeah. that's the partnership they've got now. And uh, so, yeah, there, there should be two seasons, and the second season I thought was terrific. And, uh, and yeah, it was renewed for a third, but obviously that's all been in limbo, and I assume that they're hoping to resume production in the fall or winter at some point and yeah. crossing their fingers like everyone else. Yeah, Michelle, you need to watch the second se- I personally think it's the funniest show on TV, and, and – um, I, I love it. I absolutely love it. I love the movie too. It's based on a it's based on a film um 
that was a mock documentary about vampires and it that the movie's great too uh but yeah i i i think it's great but make sure you watch that second season michelle i think i did i think mark hamill was in it right uh, Mark Campbell, yeah. yes, he wasn't an episode. He wasn't yeah. an episode. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so if you like it, you know, I mean, we don't know. Everything is kind of up in the air right now, but it did get renewed. Well, that's great news. I can't wait to watch it. Yeah. And the movie I haven't been able to find, so I'll just keep searching. And yeah, you, you should be able to, to find it. Uh, Tom, is, yeah. where, is the movie available anyway? Is it streaming anyway? I, I want to say it's streaming on Amazon Prime last time I checked. Um, but it's it's readily available for rental, or uh, and I think on Amazon and other outlets. Like if you use Vudu or uh, things like that for digital rental, it's it's spectacular film. Michelle. Oh, it is a great movie. It's it's so funny and so so great. I mean, if you like the series, you'll love the movie, Michelle. Wonderful. Thanks so much. Okay, Appreciate take care. It. Yeah, uh, that show is so funny. What's the what, I, why, why do I always blank on the girl's name? Who's on that? Because uh, you got him. Uh, are you talking about Natasha Dimitri? Yeah. yeah. Oh my God, she's so funny. I mean, everybody on that show is hilarious, but I don't know. I just, I, I just think her timing is hilarious. I just, Nick, I think she's. Nick, so funny. can I ask you? Have you ever watched Toast of London? No. Okay. You like Matt Berry? Oh yeah, I love Matt Berry. You need to watch Toast of London. Okay. It's on Netflix. It is truly bizarre. Okay. No, I love him. He's he's hilarious. I, everybody on that show is great on what we do in the shadows. And that Mark Hamill episode was spectacular. It was phenomenal. So, so. Uh, Tom just gave you one thing to watch. And then there's also, if you want to actually watch uh, earlier Natasha Dimitrio shows, uh, Staff Let's Flats, which is a tough name to say. Uh-huh. Uh, that's S-T-A-T-H Let's Flats. Okay. Uh, is a <laughs> is an HBO Max is a comedy that's currently on HBO Max. It's British comedy. It was created by her brother, actually, uh, Jamie, and it's about a really, really horrible uh, rental officer, uh, agent, whatever, um, in London. And it is it is cringy British comedy of a certain type, and you can hear her more native British accents and. Uh, and yeah, she co-stars in it. Oh, so great, great! Now, now you've got lots of British TV to watch. I do, I do. Yeah. Okay. Uh, here's Barbara on WGN. Go ahead, Barbara. Hi, uh, Nick and Dan. Um, with all the conversation about medical shows, I kind of got caught up with one that I enjoyed watching called New Amsterdam. We'll be be seeing that one again. Uh, New Amsterdam got a. I think a three-season renewal from NBC uh, back in the fall or winter. I've lost track. It it is very successful for NBC. It has been renewed for several seasons going forward, uh, but it is yet another one of the shows where I don't believe they've started production again. And so everything's I have on no hold. Clue when it's yeah. so no clue when it's coming back. But it it has been renewed for several seasons going into the future. It is a big success for NBC. So do not worry; it will be around for a while. Okay. Thanks, Barbara. I, I hope it uh, gets here soon because I'm not going to be around that long. <laughs> Jeez, Barbara. All right. Thanks for the call. The only reason I said that, Nick, is because I started listening to you when you were a kid. So that gives you an idea of how long I've been listening to WGN. I've been a part of this radio station for 35 years, Barbara. So, yeah, it's a long time. Okay, thanks, Barbara. Okay, thanks, guys. All right. Uh, Can you quickly tell us about Raised by Wolves? Yes. 
I will do my best to quickly tell you about Raised by Wolves. It is uh, executive produced by uh, Ridley Scott, and he directed the first two episodes. So he is the the big hook of it. And it's yeah. set in a future about 130 years into the future, a civil war between atheists and a certain group of religious zealots uh, has basically destroyed the earth. And uh, two separate groups of survivors... Uh, are sent off in different ways to a distant planet. Uh, one of them is two androids named Mother and Father raising a group of atheist children, and then there's a group of the believers who also arrive, and that's what it is. It's, uh, it's a hostile alien planet, a couple androids who may be potentially a little bit faulty in that particular Ridley Scott kind of way, and kids trying to grow up in a world without structure, some of them believing in God and some of them not. Uh, it was created by Aaron Guzikowski, um, who who wrote Prisoners, the, uh, oh, sure. the Dennis Villeneuve movie. Yeah, 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 um, yeah. And I thought the first two episodes, which were the ones that Ridley Scott directed, were visually stunning. Um, and you, if I were to have told you that it was an alien prequel, another one in the Prometheus and Covenant vein, you probably would have believed me. You can sort of see how it fits into that. I became less interested in it as I went along. I've seen six episodes, and by the time I got to the sixth episode, I wasn't really involved. But it's a certain kind of hard alien world sci-fi uh, that maybe I, I have a different tolerance for it than some people, and maybe I need different things. I know some people are going to dig it, and the first couple episodes are really beautiful. It's on HBO Max, and it premieres uh, uh, today where you are, tomorrow yeah. where I am, Thursday okay. for other yeah. people. All right. That's a, so it premieres uh, today on uh, HBO yes. Max on uh, the first two. You know, Ridley Scott's got a pretty good track record with androids. <laughs> he, he does, and you and. and they they are very much Ridley Scott androids. Like yeah. they they could totally be buddies with Ash from Alien, you know, uh, and yeah. not ne- and you know, sort of in a scary, not necessarily good way. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> but, yeah. All right, Dan. Always a pleasure. Uh, people can check it out. Uh, you can follow us. Uh, follow you at the Fine Print F I E N, and check out Hollywood Reporter for all the reviews. Dan, I appreciate you taking the time, and we'll talk to you in a couple of weeks. Talk to you in a couple, Nick. Okay, Bye. buddy. Take care, Dan Feinberg. Uh, always always great to have Dan on to discuss some TV. So uh, there you go. Hey, uh, we are going to talk about some uh, celebrity endorsements uh, and uh, good ones and weird ones and funny ones. Uh, If you want to jump in, what are your favorite celebrity endorsements? Got some hair. Great voice. Red hair. Red hair. Yeah. Simply red. Simply red. Uh, Nick DeGilio here on 720 WGN. Hello. If you would like to join us, we would love that. So you should. 312-981-7200. We're going to be talking about celebrity endorsements, some of the funniest ones and uh, some of the vintage ones. 
Um, and if you uh, remember some weird or funny or crazy celebrity endorsements for products, 312-981-7200. Uh, that's our uh, number. So uh, this uh, we're kicking off this uh, conversation with this news new story that um, Michael Jordan joins DraftKings and shares jump. For people who don't know what DraftKings is, Tom... Perhaps you can uh, tell me. Yeah, so it's it's essentially a sports betting website, um, but it's through Daily Fantasy. So it's like it's kind of like this weird mixture of uh, fantasy football or any, and I think they do multiple sports too. I don't think they just do football, uh, but it's um, you know any sort of sport you do fantasy sort of stuff, and but you can win money on it. Now, obviously, when some people play fantasy football, they bet they do bet money yes. on it. Yes, but this is functions a little bit differently. I'll be honest; I've never used the service because I don't I don't tend to gamble or really even bet money on stuff. Yeah, um, but it's incredibly popular. It's an incredibly popular service. I see commercials for it all the time. Yeah, and it sponsors yeah. a lot of sporting events as well. Yeah, it sponsors a ton of stuff, so it's very ubiquitous. And for them to have Michael Jordan on board, it's a big deal. That's huge. Yeah, that's huge for them. Yeah. I mean, arguably the greatest athlete of all time, and, yeah. and uh, to have him on board is a big deal. Uh, DraftKings shares jumped in, uh, in, in morning trading after announcing that basketball legend Michael Jordan would take an ownership stake in the company in exchange for becoming a special advisor to the sports betting site. Oh, special advisor. Um, Boston-based DraftKings said Jordan would immediately provide strategic and creative input to the board of directors on company strategy, product development, inclusion, equity, and belonging, uh, marketing activities, and other key initiatives. Wow. The company did not release details on the amount of Jordan's stake in the company. Jordan is the majority owner of the NBA's Charlotte Hornets and won six championships as a player with the Chicago Bulls. Shares in DraftKings, uh, which went public a year ago, rose more than 4%. Uh, to $38.56 in uh, morning trading. Yeah, that's going to happen. It's going to happen. Your shares are going to go up if you get Michael Jordan involved. That's just what's going to (laughs) happen. It could be any company. Is there there any company that their shares would not go up if Michael Jordan... Oh, no, I don't think... Listen, Michael Jordan, come on, man. It's Michael Jordan. I'll buy anything that Michael Jordan tells me to buy. (laughs) Anything? Literally anything. All right. He could tell me to buy... Are you wearing Hanes underwear right now? I actually am. Oh, you are? And I, you know why? I've been wearing Hanes since I was like probably four or five. Uh-huh. You know why? Because Michael Jordan wore Hanes. Come and on. I, no, dead serious. I used to be obsessed with Michael Jordan. Obsessed. Oh, I can understand that. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people were obsessed with Michael Jordan. I mean, think of how young I was when all that was going on. I was, I was really only cognizant of it for the second repeat you know yeah well i mean the first one when you were you didn't get, you weren't born i was a zygote i mean you're born in 93 yeah, born in november 90. 93 so it was over by then yeah it was over that, that was the 91 92 93 but he comes back space jam comes out Ugh. which i put yourself in my shoes yeah all right you know I, that was huge i was like this guy is the greatest athlete of all time so obviously started He's not, I, not the best baseball player in the not, world. The, not the greatest baseball player in the right. world but I appreciate the effort. Yeah. But yeah, no, that's why I wear Hanes. I okay. only I only wear Hanes because Michael Jordan wore Hanes. All right. Well, there you go. That's 
It says a lot about uh, what happens when Michael Jordan, uh, you know, is the is the is the uh, endorsement uh, star. So, all right, that got us to thinking. What are some of the some of the uh, great celebrity product endorsements from the past, and what are some of the funniest celebrity endorsements? Uh, and if are there any you know really memorable celebrity endorsements for products that you remember? Three one two nine eight one seven two hundred. Three one two nine eight one seven two hundred. Um, so here's the, uh, here's the story here. Hollywood, uh, celebrities have always pitched products to earn a little side money. Sometimes it's actually the primary source of income and acting as the side job. Television, uh, stars sell foods, beverages, insurance, car rentals, vacations, whatever. Back in the day, the whatever was a lot weirder. For whatever reason, we'd bet that these vintage, vintage advertisements would not be printed today. All right. So how about Doris Day for International Harvester? Uh, and she's the, in the, the it's a it's a magazine ad, um, and it's it features Doris Day on top of a giant steamroller. <laughs> this ad's hilarious. That's a great ad. Oh, it's fantastic! So it's the International Harvester, and there is a they've got a, a lovely close up picture in the background of Doris Day. And uh, and then her on top of a giant steamroller. Now is it? It's not a photograph of. Is it a photograph of her? Is it like a? a no, drawing? it's a photograph. Oh, it is. It's a, her yeah. actually on a giant steamroller. Wow, beautiful. Yeah, I'm... deluxe series fifty six roller compactor. Ooh. And um, yeah. Doris Day's like I've got three. You know. It says, uh, and then they, the 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 uh, underneath the picture, the commentary says, "Hey, say what you will." But it's the only steamroller endorsed by Doris Day. <laughs> uh, celebrity endorsements three one two nine eight one seven two hundred. What are the weirdest ones? Or the funniest ones? Or the most memorable? Now you've you've d- endorsed things before. You endorsed the what was it that burger named after you? Oh well, yeah. I mean, I had kind of had to. <laughs> it was at Wiener and Wiener and Still Champion, which is yeah. not no longer there in Evanston. No. But they did have the McD burger. Yeah. Which was insane. It was deep fried. It was it was just nuts. What's one product that if you were asked, you would definitely endorse? They're like we want a celebrity endorsement from Nick DiGilio. Oh, they don't want that for no. Me. Entertain the thought. Miracle Whip. Miracle Whip. He <laughs> <laughs> would go for his Miracle Whip. <laughs> well, it's true. You are you are a. Uh, I grew up in a Miracle Whip family. Yeah. That that would be the, have to be the ad copy is like, I come from a family of Miracle Whippy. Yeah, we yeah. didn't we did not have mayonnaise in the house when I, the you know when I grew up with my folks, it was Miracle Whip. Egg salad was made with Miracle Whip. Tuna salad was made with Miracle Whip. But you put Miracle Whip on the sandwich. Yep. And then <laughs> you know, and then you know, obviously when I moved in with you know other people when I moved out of that when I moved out from my parents' place, then it became a mayonnaise house. Sure. Because nobody, are there Miracle Whip families out there still? I don't even see commercials for Miracle Whip. Do you? I don't see a ton of commercials for them, but I know it's out there. No, I know it exists. I have a jar in my in my fridge. At right. Home. I feel like they don't have to advertise. In a sense, it's like, listen, if you <laughs> if you know what you're getting, you know, people who buy Miracle Whip know what they're getting into with Miracle Whip. <laughs> you know, I, as a mayonnaise guy, I gotta I gotta appreciate that. Where they're they're loyal to the to the whip, yeah. I mean, it's not it. It doesn't taste anything like mayonnaise. No, 
It's weird. It's, it's weird how people would think they like compete. You know, because really, you wouldn't. You would never really substitute mayonnaise oh, on a sandwich with mirror. No, no, you wouldn't. They're entirely two different things. This isn't Pepsi and Coke, where they're like kind of you know they're similar things. They just taste different. No, Miracle Whip is a completely different thing. I mean, it comes in a jar and it's white, and you spread it on bread. That's about the only thing that it has in common with mayonnaise. Might as well be marshmallow fluff. <laughs> That's too much, right there. Fluffer nutter. <laughs> I had a friend that used to make uh, fluffer nutter and peanut butter sandwiches. Wait, that's that's what a fluffer nutter is, isn't it? Oh wait, really? Is that I thought fluffer nutter was just it's it's no, uh, it's, it's fl- a fluffer nutter. Oh, is that's when what you, fluffer nutter. Yeah. Is. Okay. Well, he would do marsh marshmallow fluff and yeah peanut butter. I never that's understood a that. fluffer, a fluffer nutter. nutter. That's what it is. Yeah, that's what. A, <laughs> okay, that's what a fluffer nutter is. I, I didn't realize. I thought the fluffer nutter was just the marshmallow fluff. No, marshmallow fluff is marshmallow fluff. Okay, and then when you put it on peanut butter, it's a it's, it's a fluffer nutter. What's wrong with you? <laughs> I wasn't a fan. I, it was a little bit too much for me. No, it's yeah, I agree. I agree. All right. Uh, what about celebrity endorsements? What are the most memorable ones? The weirder ones or the funniest ones? Uh, that's what we're talking about. We got some more memorable ones here. We'll tell you all about Sammy Davis Jr. for Alka Seltzer. <laughs> Another great ad. Three one two nine eight one seven two hundred. It's time to go to the newsroom. What the hell is this again? Uh, Smokey Robinson. That's right, Smokey Robinson. One heartbeat. He's got such a great voice, Smokey Robinson. Really, he's still going, man. Yeah. God, he's got to be what? He's got to be eighty, right? He is four hundred years old, <laughs> and he's still, he's still, he's still going. I think he's still touring, playing gigs, and he's still got a magnificent voice. Yeah, he is eighty years old. Yeah. 80. February 19th, 1940. Look at that. Detroit, Michigan. Yeah, of course. That's right. Well, what a great voice. Hey, it's Nick DiGiulio on 720 WGN. We're live in the Skyline studio. And uh, a little bit later on, we're going to play some comedy back from the uh, Carson Show. The Johnny Carson Show, you can watch every uh, night on Antenna TV, and we always play some comedy from the Johnny Carson Show. And we're going to get some uh, stand-up from 1987 from Jeff Cesario. Very funny guy. Very funny guy. Uh, so we're talking about some uh, celebrity endorsements. What are uh, your most memorable? What are some of the weirdest ones? Here's another uh, ad right here. This is for uh, uh, Alka-Seltzer, Sammy Davis Jr., and it's a Christmas ad. And uh, there's Sammy, you know. With that vintage, crazy, big smile. Because Sammy, Sammy, Sammy was always happy. And he's got, a, he's got a Christmas stocking in his hand. And in the stocking, peeking out from the top of the stocking, is a box of Alka-Seltzer. Because that's what you want. That's what you want for Christmas in your stocking. You want a box of Alka-Seltzer. Yeah, that's what Santa's hanging by the chimney with care. It's a nice box of Alka-Seltzer. It says, deck the halls with plop, plop, fizz, fizz, fa-la-la-la-la, la-la-la, ah. (laughs) 
I hope someone got fired for that one. Holy cow. The commentary uh, in the article here says, uh, holiday bonus for the copywriter who came up with deck the halls with plop plop. <laughs> it's a fantastic, it's a fantastic ad. Well, and who doesn't love uh, Sammy Davis Jr.? Oh, you got to love Sammy. Come on, man. Again, another guy I would buy anything he's selling me. Sammy I, Davis. I trust he's him. a man. Mr. Bojangles. I, I feel he's here. The spirit of he's the uh, man. <laughs> he's the man. All right. Uh, famous or weird celebrity endorsements for products. Three one two nine eight one seven two hundred. All right, Ike, go ahead. Hey Nick, how's it going, with you man? All right. Uh, you remember back in two thousand three, uh, Ford Mustang did this. Uh, they even do do things with dead celebrities. You remember this one they did on Steve McQueen? Yeah. Yeah, they did a remit kind of a, a spoof on Field of Dreams, and uh, this guy he instead of a baseball field, he turns it like into a car rotation uh, thing. And Steve McQueen comes out, he gives him the car, he drives off in this new version of the car he drove in Bullet. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. I love that because Steve McQueen's one of my heroes. I love that guy. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Ike. No problem. Yeah, when they did it with uh, people, people, uh, people got a little freaked out when they started bringing dead people back for products. Like, I think it started. With a vacuum cleaner commercial, see if you can look this up, Tom, with Fred Astaire. And that was the first one where people were like, what What are you doing? You know, <laughs> uh, and they they did that a few times. They did that a few times when they brought, like, dead celebrities back, you know, to, uh, to advertise certain products. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, I'm looking at it right now. It's very odd. What's the what's the product? Uh, dirt, de- vac- dirt Devil. Oh, Dirt Devil. Okay, yeah, for the Dirt Devil. I remember it caused a, a big stir. Well, I, I would expect it to because it seems kind of unfair to be using someone's likeness or someone's celebrity status yeah. after they've dead because they can't consent to that. Yeah. How do we? Maybe he hates Dirt Devil. Maybe Fred Astaire is dancing. Well, I mean, I guess they, I'm, I'm 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 assuming that they had to go through Astaire's estate. Sure, but you know, even with the estate, it's not them. And I'm I'm not trying to throw stones. No, it at was the a weird. No, I it was a weird commercial. Super I remember weird. watching it, going, "What the?" It's kind of like the Tupac hologram, you know, and uh, and Buddy Holly. They did the Buddy Holly hologram. Yeah, the the Buddy hologram. Um, it's just weird. There's no way of knowing if that's what they would have wanted. Yeah. So. All right, let's see. Here's uh, John on WGN. Go ahead, John. Nick, good evening. Hi. Haven't talked to you since the Dan Shiguru days. Ah, all right. The funniest thing from the past is my man, Shatner. Park with his then-wife, Marcy. Mm-hmm. Oh, honey, this is, this is such great butter. It's not butter. It's parquet. Ah. Remember that? Uh, yeah, but he also did the uh, Priceline commercials with Priceline.com. Well, that was years later, and he made yeah. hundreds of millions of dollars on selling yeah. the stock. Yeah, he did. Uh, yeah, William Shatner. All right, thanks, John. Thanks. Yep, Shatner. All right, how about Ronald Reagan for Chesterfield cigarettes? Um, This was, you know, obviously before he was president. This looks like a, the, the, a 50s era, and it's... It's a Christmas. It's a the you can. It's there's the Christmas card carton, so you can send all your friends Chesterfield for Christmas. And there's uh, Ronald Reagan, and he's signing 
He's writing on the Christmas card carton of Chesterfield cigarettes, and he's got a Chesterfield hanging out of his mouth, big smile on his face, and it says, I'm sending Chesterfields to all my friends. That's the merriest Christmas any smoker can have. Chesterfield uh, mildness plus no unpleasant aftertaste. Signed, Ronald Reagan. (laughs) Was that a thing? Was that Pete? Would people give you a carton of cigarettes for Christmas? Yeah. Wow. That's what uh, John Bender's dad gave him in Breakfast Club. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) (laughs) Go ahead, Johnny. Smoke it up. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. (laughs) Unreal. I love that movie. I love that movie so much. All right, here's Mike on WGN. Hey, Mike. Along the same lines, uh, athletes uh, endorsing cigarettes. Yeah. I just Googled baseball players and cigarettes, and it came up with... Willie Mays, Stan Musial, Ted Williams, Jackie Robinson, Hank Aaron, you know, along with others. All of them, you know, all of them in, endorsing and uh, 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 cigarettes. Mm-hmm. It's amazing, yeah, you know, yeah. for people who young, you know, like you know, like Tom's Tom's young. He's only twenty. What do we? Twenty six. Twenty six. He's twenty six years old. Tom does not remember the time when everybody smoked. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, there was a time when everybody smoked, and I think it was right around. You know the the '80s when people were like, maybe we should not smoke. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, one one of the things I remember Henry Aaron is he was at the end of his career playing with the Brewers, and it was they were doing Game of the Week on Saturday, and yeah. Joe Gragioli talking about how great Hank is. You know, you know he's going to retire as the home run leader, and let's take a peek at Hank in the dugout, and he's got a cigarette hanging out of his mouth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's those were the those were different times, Mike. Okay, Mike, thank you, buddy. Yeah. Not a problem. Yeah, yeah, Tom. Um, ashtrays all over every house. Yeah, I mean, for me, okay. it was. I mean, my grandmother smoked. Yeah. Um, and she. I mean, when we when I was really young, she smoked in front. Like she would smoke in the house and in front of me. Yeah. Um, but as as I got older, she took to like. I think my mom said, "You need to take it outside." Like, yeah, no one else smokes. It's just you. But it, but if people came over, if she had her friends over when they still smoked, um, they smoke right in front of us. But I always thought it was like, oh, only old people do that. Listen, because my parents didn't smoke. Uh, I'm telling you, everybody smoked in the 70s, and they didn't care. They smoked inside the house, in front of kids. It didn't matter. Everybody smoked in the 70s. Hell, my parents smoked in the 70s. And uh, but yeah, 50s, 60s, 70s. Oh man, ashtrays everywhere. People smoking all over the place. So. Um, yeah, completely different time. But yeah, there's Ronald Reagan. Hey, enjoy your Chesterfields at Christmas. Perfect Christmas gift. Some Chesterfields. All right. We're talking about crazy celebrity endorsements, and we got the some of the funniest ones, too, as well as some of these weird ones. Like next, we'll talk about Groucho Marx for Kellogg's Frosted Flakes. <laughs> All right. Uh, what are some of your favorites? 312-981-7200. Nick DeGilio here on 720 WGN. Uh, here till 4 o'clock. At 4 o'clock, we head over to uh, Bradley Place to the TV side of WGN. 
uh, get some uh, early morning news from that great group, and then the uh, one and only Bob Surratt at 5 with your morning drive. 312-981-7200 is the phone number if you would like to join us. We're talking about celebrity endorsements, and the news is next from the Northwestern Medicine Newsroom. Um, so I mentioned uh, Groucho Marx is in an ad for uh, for Frosted Flakes, and there's Tony. Tony the Tiger, apparently a guest on uh, You Bet Your Life. It's You Bet Your Life era, Groucho. Uh, so there's Tony presenting a big bowl of Frosted Flakes to uh, Groucho, who is like staring at, at Tony the Tiger like he's a like he's a loon. And it says, "You bet your life, they're great." Groucho Marx, man, hanging out with Tony the Tiger. From duck soup to Frosted Flakes. That's what it says here. From duck soup oh. to cold cereal. Oh, really? Yep. Oh, wow. Uh, Humphrey Bogart for Whitman Sampler. Because you know when you think of uh, Whitman Sampler and. Different kinds of lovely chocolates. Uh, you think Humphrey Bogart? And it's Humphrey Bogart just holding a. The picture is Humphrey Bogart just uh, a, a, a box of Whitman samplers, with a really sort of like less than thrilled look on his face. It says, "Here's how I remember. Why don't you? Um, especially in the summer." And uh, the headline here says, tastes even better than a hill of beans. <laughs> he just uh, Humphrey Bogart does not look thrilled to be holding a Whitman sampler. I don't think he's ever looked thrilled in his entire career. Yeah, it's true. He's always haggard. Yeah. He was great, Humphrey Bogart. Oh, beautiful. All right. Here's, uh, let's see, it's uh, Bernie on WGN. Go ahead, Bernie. Hi, Nick. The Hi. old Hertz commercial with O.J. Simpson. Uh, they yeah. Said, Let Hertz put you in the driver's seat, and O.J. came flying through the air and ended up behind the steering wheel. Well, yeah, well, he would, they, they, in the commercials, the series of commercials, he would be running through airports and ju- yes. jumping over luggage and all kinds of crazy stuff. Yes, and then they had him fly through and end up in a driver's seat. Yeah. yeah. All right, there you go, O.J. Okay. Thanks, Bernie. You're welcome. Bye. Right. 312-981-7200. Uh, here's Trucker Rich. Hey, Rich. Hey, Nick. How you doing tonight? All right. Uh, I'm sure if someone has it, you probably will mention Fred and Barney Hawking. Uh, yeah, Winston. Winston. cigarettes out yeah. by the back uh, It's, a, it's a, That commercial, you can get that commercial. You can watch that commercial online. It's hilarious. It's hilarious. Yeah. And they're hiding from their wives. That's the, they're, they're yeah, like, like, they're behind. Like little kids smoking their exactly. first cigarettes. Exactly. Yeah, they're hiding. I think they're hiding behind Barney's house. And, uh, yeah. and, they're, and they're enjoying some Winston cigarettes. Uh, uh, Tom, yeah. can you find uh, the audio to that? Because that's 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 legendary, Barney, for the, the, on the Flintstones advertising for cigarettes. <laughs> and then when I was in the military, they used to give us a five pack of cigarettes with every uh, meal out in the field. Oh, of course. Yeah, I mean it's it's I it's it's, in, it's incredible how much smoking was going on back in those days. Yeah, I think it was some of it had to do with. Smoking kills your appetite, so that might have had something to do yeah. with it too. Yeah, what was that? Uh, that that um, the line from The Simpsons. Uh, Hi, I'm Troy McClure. Uh, you might know me from some PSAs such as "Smoke Yourself Thin." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, and I thought of something else when the previous caller was on talking about O.J. Simpson. Yeah. Do you realize that when Ford introduced their new Bronco, it was on the the date of the great 
white Bronco chase. Yeah, it's oh yeah, that's right. That's that's right. I totally forgot about that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I kind of thought that was kind of funny myself. That's very you know? weird, very weird, not very weird yep. timing. All right, Rich, thanks, man. All right, take yep, care. Uh, let's see. Here's uh, Vic on WGN. Hey, Vic. How you doing, Jim Moran, the courtesy man? Grand and Central Park, starting with Hudson's and later to the Fords and his famous TV show, Torture Time, and all the kids going out there and visiting the place and kicking the tires all over the place. I mean, it was just part of the family, one of the early shows of TV showing movies and whatever. Right, right. That was uh that was local. That was not uh that was not like yeah. uh, like an international star. Do we have a little uh, uh, thank you Vic. Do we have a little Barney and Fred enjoying Winston? We do. Okay. They sure work hard, don't they, Barney? Yeah. I hate to see them work so hard. Yeah, me too. Um let's go around back where we can't see them. Gee, we ought to do something, Fred. Okay. How's about taking a nap? I, I got a better idea. Let's take a Winston break. That's it. Winston is the one filter cigarette that delivers flavor 20 times a pack. Winston's got that filter blend. Yeah, Fred. Filter blend makes the big taste difference, and only Winston has it. <laughs> and then uh, I've got a little bit of the 1978 O.J. Hurts. Uh, oh, okay. Nobody does it better than Hertz. Nobody does it better. Hertz leads the others by far. Nobody does it better for you. Hertz, a superstar. Nobody has more of what it takes to rid you a Fairmont, Mustang, LTD, or other fine car faster. Hertz, a superstar. You know. Wow. Boy, what it, it He's take, like flying through the airport yeah, and everything. Yeah, flying through the airport. And, it, it, and, and a nice little takeoff on Nobody Does It Better. Sure, that's 1978, because Nobody Does It Better was from uh, Spy Who Loved Me. Yeah, and that was 1977. All right, here's uh, Mark on WGN. Go ahead, Mark. How you doing? All right. All right. Walt Garrison, ex-football player. For skull tobacco, you take a pinch and put it in between yep. your cheek and your gums, right. and you eat it all in there. And I used to shoot pool at a pool hall that doesn't exist anymore, St. Paul Pool Hall on Fullerton and uh, Southport. And they still had spittoons in the pool hall. Oh, they, oh, they did. did. Talk about an entry-level job. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the guy that cleaned the spittoons. Yeah, the guy that cleaned the spittoons. And, uh. and those guys weren't real accurate in, in hitting the spittoons. Sometimes they hit, and sometimes not so much. Yeah, you know? yeah. yeah, it's true. But, yeah, chewing tobacco. You got yeah. it. All right, Mark, thanks. How about uh, Lucille Ball for Philip Morris? She's very happy to be having a cigarette in her hand and holding up Philip Morris cigarettes. Now millions know one king size tops them all for taste and comfort. Your throat can tell that it's Philip Morris. <laughs> so many people were, I feel like the running theme here is that a lot of people were endorsing cigarettes. Oh, yeah, man. My God. Oh, I remember this one. Don Knotts for Chicago Lumber Company. Woo! Yeah, Don Specials, the Chicago Lumber Company. Competitive products, competitive prices. How did they land Don Knotts for a local lumber company? And they had Don's Don's special. You can get a hammer for six dollars and thirty nine cents. 
You can get a uh, lantern battery for $1.59. Beautiful. And, of course, time. a faucet for fourteen ninety five. <laughs> Yeah, I, but I'm guessing 1495. What year would that have probably been? This is it looks 70s era to me. Yeah, 1495 looks like, in the 70s is a decent chunk of change. Yeah. Um and and the the, the little uh, headline that they have here is nip all your hardware needs in the bud. Nip it, nip it, nip it. All right, let's see. John is on WGN. Hey John. Nick, uh I once saw Rolling Stones for uh, Rice Krispies. Rolling Stones for Rice Krispies. Yeah, I don't remember that at all. It didn't. Well, it didn't air very long. <laughs> I was reading a book about them too, and they they mentioned that commercial. You know, Eleanor Roosevelt once did a commercial for uh, margarine. I think it was either like Blue Bonnet or uh, Imperial. No, I didn't know that. A long time ago, like that, nineteen sixty or sixty one, because she died in nineteen sixty two. Yeah. All right. Wow. All right. Thanks, John. Okay. All right. Bye. Um, here's Doc on WGN before we hit the news. Hey, Doc. Hey, man. I got a couple for you. Uh, Robert Conrad, Ever Ready Battery. Oh, yeah. Knock the battery off. I dare you to knock it off my shoulder. Yep. And uh, Joe Namath for Beauty Mist Pantyhose. Oh, the pantyhose. I remember that. I always need a masculine spokes model for yeah. my, my pantyhose. That's, it's funny because that, I remember how that commercial started because the camera starts at his feet. And slowly pans up his leg. He's, you see the leg is in a pantyhose, and then you, it reveals that it's that it's Joe Namath, and that was like at the the height of his popularity. Yep. Yeah. All right. Thanks, All right. Doc. Okay, man. All right, buddy. Take care. Three one two nine eight one seven two hundred. You talk about the Carl Malden commercial for um, um, it's American Express. What, right? what will you do? What will you do? Was it American Car- Express? I, I, I'm not sure. Was I know Carson. It was, don't leave, it was don't leave home without it. That was the that was the catchphrase. Yeah, I know that for American Express. Don't leave home. Yeah, that's, okay. That's what it was. All right. Yeah, that was Carl Malden. Carl Malden. <laughs> Carl Malden. Streets of San streets, Francisco. Popular streets of San Francisco. A lot Francisco. of other things too. Oh, he's a Carl. Carl Malden he's a great was, actor. was a great actor. Um, how about a raisin party dessert? You never tasted uh, anything like this because it's there's never been raisins like these. Sun giant raisins. With Vincent Price. <laughs> More weird celebrity endorsements and funny ones. If you want to join us, it's 312-981-7200. And uh, we'll continue after the news, which is happening now. All right, Nick DeGilio here on 720 WGN. We're live in the Skyline studio here till 4 a.m. as we are every weekday morning, 11 p.m. to 4 a.m. Uh, coming up, we're going to talk about some abandoned places that no longer exist um, and uh, also some uh, Carson comedy, which uh, we have every every uh, morning at 2.30. You can watch the Johnny Carson show every night on Antenna TV, and we're going to play back some stand-up from 1987 with Jeff Cesario. Very funny guy. 312-981-7200 is the phone number. We're talking about some very interesting and funny and weird celebrity uh, endorsements. How about uh, Rudy Valley says, put yourself across um, for that subtle added ounce of energy 
Uh, I follow the simple advice of great physicians. Years before he was a Batman villain, uh, Lord Marmaduke Fogg, Valley was uh, a heartthrob pop singer and a big fan of yeast. <laughs> big fan of yeast. I didn't know that about Rudy Valley. Uh, it's Casey on WGN. Hi, Casey. Hey, Nick. How are you doing? All right. What's up? I was thinking about uh, smoking Joe Frazier. Walks into a bar and sings a song about Miller Lite. Yeah. Smoking Joe Frazier. Well, they, you know, Miller Lite had a lot of uh, uh, celebrity um, endorsements. You know, mostly athletes. They had that whole series of taste great, less filling, and that was loaded with a bunch of uh, 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 well-known athletes. All right, Casey, thanks. Do we have uh, some audio from uh, some of this stuff? What do you got? Yeah, so this is Smokin' Joe Frazier. Okay. Smokin' Joe! Or the live beer from Miller and say no more. It's got the third less calories than the regular beer. Life tastes great, y'all, but listen here. It's not the thing that makes me shout. Life's less filling, and that really knocks me out. <laughs> That's good. He's a pretty good singer. No, it was good. Pretty good singer, man. I Very like that. Very good. Hey, Casey, thanks for the call. We just played the Smokin' Joe Frazier. What else we got? Uh, I've got <laughs> so uh, Orson Welles was well known for his Paul Masson commercial. Yeah, uh, no wine shall be opened before its time. Yeah, uh, but one of the best parts about it was the outtakes from when he was completely smashed. Yeah, uh, this is this is them trying to film a Paul Masson commercial, uh, and there are two people sitting at the table with Orson Welles. They're like in a restaurant setting. And uh, they have to keep repouring the wine. Like these two people who are sitting at the table, it's like a couple sitting at the table with Orson Welles. This was when Orson Welles, you know, he was actually advertising any kind of product. And this is when Orson Welles weighed like 900 pounds. And um, so, uh, but yeah, so he, he, Paul Masson was one of the endorsements that Orson Welles um, did. Uh, but this is an outtake of them tr- actually trying to film a commercial, but he's loaded. Action, please. Ah, the French champagne has always been celebrated for its excellence. There is a California champagne by Paul Masson. Inspired by that same French excellence, it's fermented in the bottle and like the best French champagne, it's vintage dated. So Paul Masson... What happened? No, uh, here's here's another. I had to pull up the other oh, take. Okay. So this is another take from it. Ah, the French champagne has always been celebrated for its excellence. There is a California champagne by Paul Masson, inspired by that same French excellence. It's fermented in the bottle, and like the best French champagne, it's vintage dated. So Paul Masson. <laughs> and the, the other, the, the two people that are at the table with him, they had to keep repouring wine, yeah, right? They had to keep repouring it. <laughs> <laughs> that sound is amazing. Just... <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jesus. <laughs> uh, here's Mark on WGN. Go ahead, Mark. Greetings from Cleveland. Got yeah. another weird endorsement for you. All right. In 1966, the Yardbirds did an ad for Great Shakes, which was this uh, 
product where um, basically you can make your own milkshake at home. And their uh, jingle uh, for it actually was based on over, under, sideways, down. Oh, really? Uh-huh. Oh. Yeah, the ads on uh, you know, a certain uh, public uh, video uh Website, if you want to take a look at it. Okay, that, are you trying to not say YouTube? <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. It's okay then. I just want to make sure. Yeah. No. Yeah. It's, we've said it about nine times already tonight. All right, I'm Mark. Sorry, but that's okay. Yeah, the ads on YouTube. Okay. Thanks. All right. I got a little. We bit have this Yardbirds. Shake it up with milk and make the rich thick shake. New great shakes, new great shakes. Now great shake shake mix comes in two. That's new crazy. That's pretty crazy. Well, that would have been because uh, over under sideways down was Jeff Beck era. Well, right? yeah, he said it was sixty six. Yeah, sixty six. Yeah. yeah, Jeff Beck era. How about um, Wally Cox for Schmirnoff vodka? Schmirnoff. Yeah. Yeah, Shmirnoff Vodka. Cox was uh, known as uh, TV teacher Mr. Peepers. So much for the charmingly square image students. At least he drinks it with a straw. And, and, and in it, Wally Cox has got an entire bottle of Shmirnoff Vodka in front of him with a straw in it. Oh, my God. <laughs> and then, of course, for another one for Shmirnoff, uh, for Shmirnoff Vodka, uh, Woody, uh, Woody Allen. Mm. And he's coming out of a, he's on the beach for some reason, coming out of a giant shell with a bottle of Shmirnoff. I don't know, man. Would you like a little Robert Loja? Oh, yes, please. <laughs> Try some new Minute Maid orange tangerine. It's got calcium. Then I'm not drinking it. Oh, no, it's sweet. You'll like it. I don't believe you. Well, then who would you believe? I don't know, Robert Loja. Whoa, Robert Loja. Billy, your mother's right. New Minute Maid orange tangerine tastes great. It's got as much calcium as milk. If you say so, Mr. Loja. Yeah. This is great. Enjoy your breakfast. New Minute Maid orange tangerine. Yeah. I remember the first time I remember the first time I saw that commercial. I was like, what the hell? what? Yeah. Robert Lo I don't know, Robert Loja? I the first time I saw that commercial, I about fell off my chair. Oh, I was like, what? All right, let's take a quick break. We've got more ridiculous celebrity endorsements to talk about. Maybe we'll play a few more of these on the air. Uh, by the way, the next endorsement that I'm going to talk about you know, from a magazine, I actually have this, this ad framed uh, and on my wall at home, and it's Jerry Lewis, who loves ch- Kentucky Fried Chicken. And it says, the Big Mouth loves Kentucky Fried Chicken. Take it from the colonel. And he's sitting next to the colonel. He's got a drumstick in his hand and his mouth wide open, shoving the drumstick in his face. I actually have that framed. At, I actually have that framed on my wall at home. <laughs> All right, we'll come back and talk more. If you want to jump in, three one two nine eight one seven two hundred. All right, Nick DeGilio here on 720 WGN, here till uh, 4 o'clock. Uh, coming up in just a few minutes at 2.30, we always play uh, some, uh, after the 2.30 uh, news, we always play some uh, comedy from uh, the Johnny Carson Show. You can watch the Johnny Carson Show every night on Antenna TV, and we're going to get some stand-up from Jeff Cesario. All right. 
Hey, we're talking about uh, celebrity endorsements, some weird ones, some interesting ones, and some uh, crazy ones. How about uh, Carol Burnett for uh, Black Glamour Fur? And uh, it's her wearing a fur coat. Very happy. Looks like she's dancing. Okay, this one's hilarious. Another uh, magazine ad. Boris Karloff for Northern Pacific Railway. And in the ad, he's at a table on the phone with a very uh, sort of like confused and sad look on his face. He's got a knife and he's holding it. He's holding the knife on the desk, blade down, and it says, where's my carload of arsenic? He's waiting on, he was waiting on his carload of arsenic. He should have used Northern Pacific Railway. His arsenic would be there already. Uh, here's Linda on WGN. Go ahead, Linda. Good morning. Silver Cup bread, uh, Rocky Jones Space Ranger. They used to be on on Saturday mornings when I was a kid. Oh, I don't, I don't remember. And I don't know that at all. No, you wouldn't. And then Andy Devine, he also uh, for Kellogg Sugar Pops. Mm. It was uh, I, I forget who he was a sidekick of, but they used to have him riding, and he was in buckskin. They were cowboys, mm-hmm. and uh, it's, uh, they had him riding through, and he go, "Hey," and he say, "I'm hungry," and they say, "What do you want?" He said, "Give me my Kellogg Sugar Pops." So then they'd say they're not so, not too sweet and all that. Right. That was one of the uh, back then. It was uh, we had a lot of cowboys on Saturday yeah, morning. Yeah, yeah, They were on all the time. They were the the the, the old western uh, genre was was very very hot back in those days. So, all right, Linda, thanks for the call. Three one two nine eight one seven two hundred. Um, all right. How, this this is this one's great. Sonny and Cher for the Bible. And it's just a picture of Sonny and Cher looking very pensive, and it says, look who reads the Bible. So there you go, Sonny and Cher with the Bible. All right. We have a, a little more. Uh, oh, what do we got? What else we got here? So um, uh, here's a little bit of Ozzy. Now, Ozzy was uh, the spokesman for a lot of stuff, actually, I found, uh, including I Can't Believe It's Not Butter. Yeah, that's in this article here. Yeah, that's a great one. But uh, personally, I like this Samsung commercial. So this is from probably about... Uh, Ten, you know, a little over ten years ago, probably about fifteen years ago, when um, so the, having a keyboard on your phone was a big deal. Okay, so this is for a Samsung, like kind of a personal assistant. I've had some issues with personal assistants, so I got myself this Samsung Jack. The last assistant must have had hearing problems. They are very short. We're getting divorced for right. The block before him kept very strange hours. Good morning, Mr. Osborne. But this new Samsung Jack's great. Emails, shopping, this scheduling thingy. It even helps me around the house. Prepare to turn left. Oh, this is new. Samsung Jack, the personal assistant. That had to be during the that had to be during the height of the of the Osbournes, the show. Yeah. It had to be. Yeah. Well, especially I, I my favorite part is that last bit. He's like, it even helps me around the house. Yeah. He's lost in his own house. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and then another great one was Geico uh, when they did the uh, celebrity spokesperson thing uh, with the dearly departed little Richard. It was Thanksgiving night when I accidentally hit a deer. Whoa, look out, look out! I called Geico expecting to get a recording, but someone was there to help me. Help me! Somebody help me! 
Geico got my claim in the works right away, and I was actually able to enjoy my Thanksgiving. Mashed potatoes, gravy, and cranberry sauce! Woo! Geico. Real service, <laughs> real savings. <laughs> Uh, He's just like sitting there having a cup of coffee with his lady. Yeah, no, I've, I've, uh, I've, I remember that commercial. I do. Uh, some of the uh, funniest celebrity endorsements of all time: Brad Pitt for Pringles crisps. Now, granted, this was before Brad Pitt was a movie star. It's a ridiculous commercial. I've seen it. They're like on the beach. He's got, he's got crazy, like late eighties hair. And uh, they're all just, they're jumping around on the beach, very happy to be eating Pringles. <laughs> I don't even think he speaks in it. No, I, he doesn't He doesn't even speak. Yeah. He's just just being Brad Pitt. Yep. Young Brad Pitt with some hair. What year would that have been? Uh, well, well, I mean, it was it was pre-Thelma and Louise, yeah. and Thelma and Louise was 1991. So it's got to be a, late like 80s, 1989, maybe yeah, 1990 like at the latest. Yeah. How about Steven Seagal for lightning bolt drink? <laughs> yes, that is the face of Steven Seagal that you see at the bottom of these lightning bolt energy drinks. We can definitely see how Seagal would sell a few more of these drinks because we'd be happy to consume any beverage that made us 1% more like the legendary martial artist's acting genius. Uh-huh. How about Mr. T for the Flavor Wave Oven? A true legend of 80s television. We'd uh, genuinely happy, we'd be genuinely happy to purchase anything that Mr. T put his name on. Although if we're honest, we're not quite sure why they chose the former BA Baracus to advertise their oven that gives you twice the flavor in half the time. Uh they mentioned OJ Simpson for Hertz. Yes, uh, that is former American footballer uh, O.J. Simpson that you see advertising in Hearst car rentals. Um, uh, and then the Flintstones for Winston cigarettes, which we heard already. Um, Hulk Hogan for Pasta Mania. What is that? WWF wrestling legend Hulk Hogan once put his name to take away Pasta. And for once, we can see why they paired this particular celebrity with this particular product. You'd need rather a lot of carbohydrates to get anywhere close as uh, to Hulk's body shape. So we do wonder if his appearance fee was paid in pasta rather than dollars. This is crazy. So it opened in Mall of America, Hulk Hogan's Pasta Mania? It was in Mall of America? Yeah, apparently it was in Mall of America. Oh. In the food court. How did I miss that when I was there? I think probably because it's gone. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I was there a long time ago. Yeah, it was probably gone. Apparently, it was a real big failure. Uh, Janet Jackson for cheese nips. It's a little ironic. Yeah. Yes, you're not mistaken. That is indeed pop legend Janet Jackson advertising cheese nips, featuring the rather bizarre and slightly sexist line of, I'll never let these nips slip. We do wonder why Janet made the decision to put her name on these cheesy treats. So that had to be post-Super Bowl that she did that. Right? Had to be. Ozzy Osbourne for I Can't Believe It's Not Butter. 
Uh, it says, we can't imagine for one second why company executives thought it would be a good idea to ask rock god Ozzy Osbourne to advertise their margarine. Because he's Ozzy. Um, we're sure that Ozzy didn't complain about the received payment, but he must have wondered how he got away with this one. Muhammad Ali roach traps. Decon must have sold a lot of roach traps to be able to afford to hire boxing legend Muhammad Ali, who stars in possibly the most bizarre celebrity endorsement here. They promised to kill roaches without using poison, but we trust that um, they also uh, they don't also lay waste to flying butterflies and, or stinging bees. See what they did there. And then this is the crowner right here: Stevie Wonder for Atari. Oh my God. This is terrible. Yes, that's Stevie Wonder advertising an Atari games. Can we, can we find this one? Uh, I think I think it was just a, a print ad. Oh, uh, it was just a print see. ad. Okay. Uh, yeah, that's Stevie Wonder advertising an Atari games console. And to be fair, the tagline of "If I could play video games, you bet it would be Atari" is pretty funny. Sadly, that's all for now. There you go. Yeah, it's just a print ad. I think. I don't think they did yeah, a, just uh, a print ad. Yeah. And he's like standing there, he's got shades on and just like not even looking at the TV. It, I found I found it like kind of offensive. Yeah. I'm like this is a little offensive. Well, he went along with it. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, no, I mean the, he, he, he got not, paid, you know. He did well also he had a, he, he he has a really good sense of humor about his situation. That's true. Over the years, man, he's he you know you know, in a sense, you know, doesn't have his eyesight, but he does have the beautiful ability to make the greatest music ever made, you know. Especially during that stretch of time in the 70s. What was that, four albums, five? Four or five albums in a row in the 70s that were just incredible. Put on Intervisions any day. Yeah, yeah, yeah I mean, come on. Stevie Wonder. But yeah, that's pretty, that's pretty ridiculous. Stevie Wonder advertising Atari. At least I won't have to look at E.T. Yeah. Which is buried in the desert in New Mexico, right? Yeah, in New Mexico. You got, I, you got to watch that one episode of that uh, video game documentary where they just talk about E.T. It's crazy. Yeah. All right. Um, okay, we've got the news here, and uh, when we come back, we've got some uh, comedy from Johnny Carson, Jeff Cesario from 1987, and then we're going to talk about um, uh, uh, abandoned places that no longer exist and talk about places that we miss, too. 312-981-7200. Let's go to the news. Ah, yes. Hey, Nick DeGilio here on 720 WGN. Uh, Live in the Skyline studio here until 4 o'clock. We're going to start talking. We're going to talk about abandoned places that no longer exist and and much more. And also, uh, we might jump into uh, forensic cases that stump the experts. You can't stump the forensics, can you? That's why you bring the forensics in. Even William Peterson gets stumped sometimes. Grissom. Um, Also, hamster DNA on a train baffles German police. What? So those are some of the stories we're going to get to. 
Uh, but we are going to talk about abandoned places that no longer exist. Um, and uh, what places do you uh, do you miss? 312-981-7200. Okay, every morning at around this time, we like to play uh, some uh, comedy from the Johnny Carson Show. You can watch the Johnny Carson Show every night on Antenna TV. It's awesome. You should. And we like to play comedy, whether it's a sketch or an interview or some stand-up, that kind of stuff. And we've got some stand-up. Um, this goes back to 1987. Uh, when uh, Jeff Cesario appeared on the Johnny Carson show. And here is Jeff Cesario. Thank you very much. My name is Jeff Cesario. I am originally from Wisconsin. A couple other escapees here tonight. This week. I've been out here four years in California. I've yet to go to the beach. Too many blonde people at the beach in California. I show up at a beach out here. People go, who called a cab? I prefer my sports indoors. I watch sports on TV. My favorite is probably basketball on TV. I, just, I watch basketball on TV because I cannot believe the moves these guys make. I watch bowling on TV because I cannot believe there's prize money involved. <laughs> what could possibly be less strenuous and more boring than bowling on television? Golf. Okay, golf. <laughs> I'll confess, being from Wisconsin, I'll watch golf on TV, you know, just to see really good weather. (laughs) But who is riveted to their seat for a televised golf match? Who calls eight friends, gets a keg of beer? (laughs) Landscapers, maybe, huh? Some sports I cannot watch on TV. They're just too hard for me. Tennis is one of them. I, I, I like to play, but tennis is hard to watch. There's too many arguments in tennis. They're always arguing whether the ball is in or out. Why don't they just make the out-of-bounds out of Velcro? I think out of everybody, I think the best athletes we have, probably horses. You ever seen a horse run a race live and in person? Beautiful animals. Although they have the best incentive to win a race. You're a horse, you win the Kentucky Derby, where do they send you? Stud farm. I'm guessing most of us could shave a couple of seconds off a hundred yard dash time. It would have helped me in high school. <laughs> Olympian Carl Lewis in the lead. Wait a second, from nowhere, 14 year old Jimmy Dugan. That's the only real thing we have left on television Sports Everything else to me is completely out of control But people will believe it if they see it on TV This is amazing There was a special on the other night on the Bermuda Triangle And my friends believed it People disappear without a trace In the Bermuda Triangle Yeah, these people who disappear, you know where they are? Bermuda disappears it's always some poor guy with six kids in college a huge mortgage and a dead-end job oh he disappeared in the Bermuda (laughs) we are losing touch with reality I see things every day I cannot believe I went shopping for a watch I I go to jewelry store the guy shows me a Rolex watch for $14,000 I told him, as far as I'm concerned, if you got 14 grand to blow on a watch, you can afford to be late, okay? (laughs) 
This I can't believe. I saw this. I cannot believe this product, that we need this. We have a new Ziploc plastic bag. You seen this? Where one side of the Ziploc is yellow, the other side's blue, so when you zip it together, you know it's sealed because it turns green. Oh, man, if you don't know a baggie's closed, you don't deserve to eat fresh food, okay? You should be in the bag. You're the vegetable at that point. <laughs> I'm amazed by what people eat. That's unbelievable to me, too. We have people who eat rhubarb in this country. <laughs> this is a weed. We're making pie out of it. People always say it tastes great if you add enough sugar. I got news for you. Anything tastes great if you add enough sugar. Leaves taste great if you add enough sugar. You just make leaf pie. Just rake and bake. We don't need that. But that's what people are eating, healthier and healthier. Junk foods are scrambling to try to find anything remotely healthy about their product that they can use in the advertising. It's hysterical. It's like Hostess Twinkies. They're caffeine-free. <laughs> Great name for a food, though, Twinkie. That's the perfect food name. Look at that thing. There is nothing else you could call that thing. What could you possibly... Puff tube. No, nothing else. Cream-filled sponge rod. I don't know. You know, they grabbed it out of thin air, too. A bunch of guys at the end of the day at their wit's end sitting around a table. I don't know what the hell to call it. Ronnie, what does your wife call you? Dinky? Let's see. Dinky, dinky, double dinky, two dinkies. Twinkies. Boom, we're out of here. <laughs> I do love to eat, though. Eating is just... That's my favorite thing. I can't... I just... The worst meal I ever had, airplane. On an airplane. You ever eaten on an airplane? Oh. And on an airplane, they always put your silverware in this hermetically sealed, sanitized bag. Meanwhile, your food's been sitting next to the John for an hour and a half. I think my least favorite food that I can remember is probably uh, stems from when I was a kid. Whenever we would go get ice cream cones, <laughs> my mom would never let me buy that good-tasting, pointy sugar cone. I was a kid who always had to get that little snub-nosed wafer safety cone. You remember? <laughs> safety, my foot. You take a bite into the bottom of that thing, hit that cross-beam girder system. And, uh, <laughs> other kids are enjoying a treat. I'm pulling cone shards out of the roof of my mouth. We will eat anything. We prove the food that proves it: potato skins. There's no food nowadays. Five years ago, we called them table scraps. This is the equivalent of eating sausage casings. I, all I can figure out is it makes waiting tables a little easier for a waiter. It's like, are you done with that, sir? Okay. There you go, sir. Funny guy, Jeff Cesario. He's still out there. He's still working. Do we know what, what that was? Eighty-seven, right? Yeah, eighty-seven, nineteen eighty-seven. Yeah, he's still working. He's a very funny guy. Sixty-seven years young. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, uh, he he did one of the he did uh, one of the uh, stand-up comedy cliches. Airplane food. Airplane food. You ever eat on an airplane?
It's bad. <laughs> oh, man. All right. Uh, yeah, you can watch the Johnny Carson show every night on Antenna TV. It's the best. And uh, Johnny rules. And every uh, weekday morning at 2.30, we play back a, a clip of Johnny from the Johnny Carson show. Now, you will be off tomorrow, uh, Tom. That is correct. So uh, you're having a little a longer weekend. Your mom's in town, so you're going to hang out with her? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Cool. But there'll still be some uh, some classic Carson. Yep. We're not going to do uh, all the Friday features because we uh, have a producer who's basically a rookie. Yeah. And, I mean, we'll do the, we'll do the dummies. Yeah, we'll definitely do the dummies. We'll do the dummies, but the other ones we're going to hold off until next week. Yeah. So. The kid's got to learn. Well, I hope, learn I hope your mom has a lovely stay. I hope so, too. Yeah. What does that mean? Nothing. Oh, okay. <laughs> I hope she has a lovely stay. Okay. <laughs> well, enjoy your long weekend. Will do. Extra long weekend, because we're off on Sunday night, Monday morning. Bingo, bingo. Yeah. I was smart with my PTO. For the... Uh, for the uh, Labor Day, the Day of Labors. That's correct. Um, let's see. We got a. Here's some weather for you. Do you enjoy weather? I tend to. Yeah, I, I do too. I especially enjoy the kind of weather that we're going to be having the next few days. <laughs> Hello, it's Nick DeGilio on 720 WGN, and we are live in the Skyline studio here until 4 o'clock. At 4 o'clock, we head over to Bradley Place, the TV side of WGN, get some uh, great news and information from that group, and then the legendary Bob Surratt will join you at 5 for your morning drive. And the news is next from the Northwestern Medicine Newsroom here on WGN. We're going to talk about some amazing abandoned places that no longer exist, and is there? And uh, we're going to get a little story about the Congress Theater as well. Um, and if you want to jump in with uh, places that uh, you miss that don't exist anymore, uh, we can uh, get a little nostalgic for that. Three one two nine eight one seven two hundred. Here's Beth on WGN. Go ahead, Beth. Hi, Nick. Hi. Um, I have a couple of quick one-liners before I tell you my place. Is that okay? Yeah, go ahead, Beth. Okay, first of all, what the Ed McMahon is going on with Tom, because he said you are correct, sir. Okay. And second of all, I had to have a cigarette after I heard you read the weather. Okay, I don't understand. What, <laughs> I have no idea what you're talking about, Beth. I have no oh, idea no, what you're talking about. Yeah. Um, Kitty Land. Kitty Land. Yeah, there were two Kitty Lands. I'm talking about the one across from Maywood because that's the one my daddy took me to. Yeah, that's that, that. The, yeah, that's the one on North Avenue. That's the one that we went to a lot too, to Kitty Land. Yeah, Kitty Land was a cool place. It was a cool place, but it's uh, no longer around. All right, thank you for the call, Beth. Three one two nine eight one seven two hundred. We're going to be talking about some amazing abandoned places um, that no longer exist. And uh, what uh, what places do you miss? What places? that you used to visit or go to are no longer around. 312-981-7200. I got to say that, um, you know, there, the, it, it, we worked in the, for, for years in the, uh, we were lucky enough to work inside the Tribune building um, here at WGN uh, for many years. They moved to WGN 
or they moved to the Tribune building from Bradley Place because the radio station and the TV station were um, uh, at Bradley Place together. And then uh, I want to say they moved in 86 to um, the Tribune building. And so we got to work in the Tribune building. Um, and I have to say, you know, Tom, we've been riding together. You've been giving me lifts uh, to and from work, and I appreciate that. No problem. Um, and we, when we ride in or, or, or we're, when we ride out, we go past the uh, Tribune building. All the construction, and they're gutting the building and stuff like that. Um, you know, and I, 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 I think what's going to happen to that building is they're going to turn them into transform them into condos. But I get a little uh, melancholy when we pass it because I can see right through the building and the backside of the building that we pass on Illinois Street, the, the, the side of the building that we pass when you, when you look down Illinois, is uh, pretty much gutted. And uh, so I get to – you ever get a little melancholy when we pass the Tribune building and see how they're, they've gutted it? And- yeah, you know, because, I mean, for me, that was, that was like my first really big adult job interview. Yeah, you know, I, I walked in. I walked into Tribune Tower full suit, like <laughs> yeah. looking like an absolute moron. Like yeah. I, I went full suit, and I'm looking up at these quotes. Um, oh, it's the from like lobby. Voltaire and the and um, so many great thinkers, and that beautiful kind of uh, map. Yeah, of the world, and you know, I, I just it struck me. I was like, oh my god, this is the big leagues. Yeah. And I'm, you know, I'm coming straight out of college. I was interviewing like literally maybe four months after I graduated college. I'm interviewing here. Um, it was intense. And once I actually got the chance to start producing part time, it was uh, an immensely humbling experience to get to walk into that every day. Absolutely. And feel a sense of purpose and feel a sense of um, of uh, of mission. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I really hope that I mean, I, I know that they're, you know, you know they're gutting it and everything. I really hope they don't do anything to that lobby. I hope they keep the lobby the, the way it is. Isn't that on the re- uh, registry of historic places? Yes. Yeah. It is. So I don't think they can. Yeah, they would can have they? To, they would have to get a special exemption from the. There's a commission, I believe, that yeah. is in charge of historic buildings. So. Yeah, they can only change. So well, they've, much they've, of it. they've, they've, they've the, if you look down Illinois, they've knocked the whole wall in. It's gone. Jeez. Yeah, it's, I mean, and if you look, if you go past it and look in the windows that are lit up, it's all gutted now, completely. So uh, I get a little. That's you know, we're talking about places that are kind of abandoned or you miss. I I, I miss the old trip tower. I miss going to that. I place. miss the old ground. I miss the whole ground floor place space we used to be in. Yeah, yeah. On the first that, floor, that floating studio was so cool. Yeah, very cool. Uh, here's Elaine on WGN. Hey, Elaine. Oh, hi, Nick. Hi. Yeah, I miss the old Drury Lane Martinique Theater on 95th and Western, oh, I believe, yes. Evergreen Park. Yep, the Drury Lane. I remember the that. theater in the round. Yep, I remember that theater uh, very much. I can't tell you a number of times Roy reviewed shows that were, oh, yes. uh, that were oh, at yes. the Drury Lane. It was a great venue, a really, really great venue. That's a good one. That's a good choice. Thanks, Elaine. Okay, Have thank a you. good morning. Yeah, Drury Lane. So that was a that was a legendary a legendary theater. So the Congress Theater, we got a story about the Congress Theater. And we're going to talk about some amazing abandoned places that no longer exist, and we want to hear from you. What places do you miss? What places that don't exist anymore would you like to see come back, or you miss them? You know, we'll get a little nostalgic here. Three one two nine eight one seven two hundred. We'll continue the conversation, and right now we're going to the news. 
Nick DeGilio here on 720 WGN, live in the Skyline studio here until 4 o'clock, as we are every weeknight into the weekday morning, 11 p.m. to 4 a.m. 4 o'clock, we head over to Bradley Place, the TV side of WGN, get some uh, early morning news from that great group, and then uh, the legendary Bob Surratt has your morning drive at 5. 312-981-7200. That's our uh, number if you want to join us. It's the Team Hochberg phone line. And uh, we're talking about uh, places that no longer exist that you miss. And then we're going to have some amazing abandoned places that we're going to talk about. Um, so what, uh, what, what kind of places are that you, that you used to go to and are no longer around that you miss? 312-981-7200. Here's Robert on WG. And go ahead, Robert. Uh, a couple of them, Nick. Uh, the Comeback Inn. Great frickin' burger joint yep. in Melrose Park. Yep. Catacombs. That was just a fantastic place to go eat. And then, of course, the Thirsty Whale. Ah, the whale. And, and, you know, from 1975, when I was 16, got my driver's license to 18, that was the place to go that you could drink illegally. Right. And watch great bands. And I think I told you, you know, I saw Santana there, got to blow some weed with the bongo drummer. I mean, you know. Yeah. Yeah, and the, good old times. The, the, the whale was a legendary place. There's no question about no it. No question about it. And then you also have Adventureland, which is just a piece of dirt right now. And used right. to be a great little amusement park. So, Yep. Lots of places that we remember uh, that are gone. All right, Robert, thanks. Take care, man. Take care, yeah. Yeah, man, the whale. Yeah, the whale. Yeah, thirsty whale. Go to the whale and you go to Gene and Jude's afterwards. Here, here's a, a list of some notable names that played the whale. Yeah. Oh God. How many times is Enough's Enough going to be on there? <laughs> They're on there. Yeah, of course they are. Enough's Enough. Demals, mm-hmm. uh, Seventh Heaven Band. Uh, but in terms of like the big names, you got Blue Oyster Cult, Blue Oyster Cult, mm-hmm. uh, Molly Hatchet, Black Oak, Arkansas. Black Oak, Arkansas played the whale. Yeah. That Jim was my, Dandy that was, to the rest. That was my first concert. Very good. Black Oak, Arkansas, but Bad Company opened for them. That was before the first album came out. Nobody knew who Bad Company was. Amazing. You got Extreme. Yeah, man, Extreme. <laughs> I'll never forget. I went to go see Extreme. I had, I had friends who were uh, managers over at the Riv, mm-hmm. and they got us in for free, and we had a box. And uh, I was the girl I was dating at the time loved more than words. Loved more than words. Um, you know, and just thought. I thought it was great. Loved the video. And so um, that's basically the only song that Extreme ever recorded that sounds like that. The rest of it is very loud, aggressive, and almost like speed metal. And so the girl that I was with, you know, during the concert was like, what is, what's going on? Because nothing sounded like more than words. That was, that was a, a definite exception to what extreme used to play mm-hmm. and that became a smash right more than words uh you got fog hat come on man johnny winter yeah mother love bone no yeah. they played the they played the whale their only chicago show was ever. the at the whale was at the thirsty wow whale. mother love bone progenitors to like pearl jam oh yeah you know yeah uh peter chris Solo? <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. And apparently Survivor performed there monthly 
Oh yeah, in her early career. Yeah, wow. no, 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 no. Survivor, major, major Chicago. But Jim Peterick, man. Yeah, who's been on the overnight show eight thousand times, and um, it was demolished. It closed its doors on June second, nineteen ninety six. Yeah, to make way for a BP gas station and a McDonald's. That's what's there. Thank God. And if you choose to go to the McDonald's and not Gene and Jude's, there's something wrong with you. <laughs> that's that's not even open to argument. Hey, let's go to McDonald's. No. <laughs> there's Gene and Jude's is right there. Uh, here's Carrie on WGN. Go ahead, Carrie. Hey, morning, Nick. I forgot all about the whale. I didn't spend much time there, but I did spend some time at the uh, Halakahiki Tiki Bar. Oh, sure. Yeah. I don't know if that's still there or not, but I don't think it is. I don't think it is. And there was also uh, there also was a right next to Gene and Jude's was uh, Cock Robin ice cream. Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Forgot all about that stuff. Yeah, so so I I've got two that that I miss dearly. Um, Lockwood Castle. Oh yeah, that's at uh, what is it? Devon in Central. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's a Starbucks now. It's a Starbucks. Um, Yeah, yeah. And and you know. not, I mean, that was our favorite place, ice cream place. Used to go there all the time. Used to go there yeah, and, all the time. And, and, and I, I, I guess I missed the genre too when you could get a, a Sunday in a in a five gallon bucket because nobody cared about healthy stuff, and, and it would come with like eight sparklers in it that were like five thousand degrees, and it was yeah. dangerous. Yeah. And then um, when the other one I was thinking about, um, well, I met Tiny Tim there once too. So that's a, another very bizarre thing. When I was a kid, Tiny you, Tim was at the Lockwood Castle for some reason. Wait a minute, Tiny <laughs> Tim was at the Lockwood yeah. Castle. Yeah, this this would have been like mid seventies. I was a kid. Um, Jeez. So, yeah, yeah, he's, he's a really nice guy. My dad talked to him. I don't know if he was just going through hair, but uh, he was a big, big, big hulking man. Oh yeah, he no, he's nice. a, a t- tiny Tim was the opposite of his name. Yeah, exactly. He talked to my dad, and and he seemed like a really nice guy. So that was yeah. weird. But um, and then the other one that I really miss is um, uh, the Ground Rounds. Uh, Ground Round, sure. When I was a kid, we used to always go to the one on. Uh, over at Harlem Irving. Yep. And when well, your kid was great, you threw your peanuts on the floor. Yep. And, um, they'd show Laurel and, Hardy, Laurel and Hardy movies and stuff. It was just a. Yeah, I love the first, ground round. I remember the ground round. Used to go there I all the time. The cheeseburgers. I was thinking about it when you guys were talking about copycat recipes the other night. Um, their, their cheeseburger didn't come with, it didn't have cheese slices on it. It had like a cheddar cheese sauce. Yeah. And I, I was thinking, I can still taste it. I'm like, I wonder if I can re- recreate that because that was, that was really good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The good old, uh, good old ground round. Okay, Carrie, thanks. All right. Uh, what what places do you miss? And we're going to talk about old abandoned places that no longer exist. And uh, we've been reminiscing a little bit here and talking about some of the places that we wish were still around. And uh, we would love to hear from you at 312-981-7200. 312-981-7200. More coming up. Nick DeGilio here on 720 WGN, and we're live in the Skyline studio here until 4 o'clock. And uh, 312-981-7200 is the number. We're going to talk about some amazing abandoned places that no longer exist, and we're reminiscing about uh, places that we miss. And I got another uh, quick story about the Congress Theater, which has obviously been dark, as many of the theaters have, most of the theaters have, uh, and the venues. Uh, We got uh, people calling in. 
And here's Ken on WGN. Go ahead, Ken. Hey, Nick. How are you doing? All right. Um, yeah, um, I was just about to call about Cock Robin, but um, yeah, so someone did mention that, but then they also mentioned if uh, Hockey Kiki is um, is not there anymore, but it's still it's still up and running, you know, just with all the COVID stuff, you know, not so much, but yeah, it's still up. Okay, I didn't know it was still there. Yeah, I haven't been in that area in a long, long time. Well, I live right down the street from, from there. I grew up on Gene and Jude, so. Yeah, well, yeah, it's the best. I love Gene yeah, and Jude. Um, Oh, yeah, I got to love Gene and Jude. Um, yeah, I just want to give a quick shout-out to uh, my former cousin, Joey D, too. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay, you, you, were, you were Joe's cousin. Uh, second cousin. My second. dad's his cousin, but yeah. Okay, all right. Well, thanks, yeah. thanks, Ken. No okay, Thank take you. care. That's my buddy Joe, who passed away um, a few years ago. And a uh, great guy, my buddy Joe. Hey, listen. What the hell happened after that first album? I hope that when the day finally comes, when Al Jorgensen ascends into heaven and we get to eulogize him, we will eulogize him with, Al, we love you, but what the hell happened after that first album? Because <laughs> honestly, I don't like ministry past that first album. I don't either. I don't, I don't get it. I don't either. Uh, because they said the, the, their first album sounded like it sounded like, um, you know, Depeche Mode. Depeche Mode. You know, it was like was, a little new ordery, a little, little, yeah. little curish. Work you know? for love. <laughs> and, and then they did have Every Day is Halloween. And then that's when they, after that song, that's when they completed That's a great song, though. Every Day is Halloween was, a, it was on a beer commercial. Yeah, it was. Uh, I think it was a dry. Remember those old days? Old style dry. I want to say. Old style dry. No, I don't. Uh, you know who you who listen to ministry? Amy Guth. She likes ministry. She liked ministry at some point. She's mentioned to me that she liked ministry. Like, I think like like hardcore ministry. ministry? Like ministry. Mm. I can't do it. Uh, let's see. Talking about places that we miss that are closed that are abandoned. Three one two nine eight one seven two hundred. Hi, Jeff. Go ahead. Yes, I have two places. Uh, grew up around in Roselle, Illinois, in the late 70s. And Cheryl's Drive-In uh, was a hamburger and ice cream place. Square, square hamburgers. Oh, uh, they had the square hamburgers, and yeah. And milkshakes. And then the other place would be Tri-Village Drive-In, dogs and French fries and Italian beefs in Hanover Park. At Barrington Road and Irving Park, very very sorely missed yeah. over the years. Yeah. Okay. So they used to be for French fries, and it's still nobody has the same ones that they had years ago. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes you just can't replace what uh, what what we what we had in the past. All right, Jeff. Thanks. Thank you. Yep. Uh, how about Tasty Hasty? Tasty Hasty. Yeah. What the hell is that? Tasty Hasty was a drive-in where you can get hot dogs and and hamburgers and stuff like that. I like that. Tasty Hasty. Was up on, I want to say it was up on Milwaukee. Used to be up on Milwaukee. And it was uh, T-A-S-T-E-E and then uh, H-A-S-T-E-E. Yeah. Tasty Hasty. I think it was on Milwaukee, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, it was 5446 North Milwaukee. Yeah, that's it. Tasty Hasty. Used to go there all the time. It was a drive-in. You pull up to the thing in order. Uh, you know, 
Yeah, it was that was a, that was a great place. Used to go there my, when I was a kid. My parents and, and we would go there all the time to Tasty Hasty. Uh, you know, there used to be Gabby Hartnett Bowling Alley, and that was like right down the street, not not far from the. It was right by the Kennedy off of Milwaukee, and they had a gun range in the basement. Uh, I'm not kidding. They had a gun range in the basement of the bowling alley. You go down in the basement and, and blow off some guns. And my friend Dan Long, not the Dan Long that works here, but my best friend when I was a kid, Dan Long, his uncle, was he had a lot of guns. And he took us down to the gun range in the basement of uh, Gabby Hartner Bowl. <laughs> Pop off a few quick ones. Put the headphones on or put the earmuffs on. That's what, uh, by the way, that's what um, Ron Santo used to call his headphones. Earmuffs? Yeah. <laughs> Ron Santo's like, I got to put my earmuffs on. <laughs> I'm surprised they didn't go with the industry standard of cans. Oh, put Ron. your cans on. Here's uh, Joe on WGN. Hey, Joe. Hey, Nick. How's it going today? All right. What's up? Yeah, so I, you know, a while back, uh, there used to be a, an arcade on Western Avenue across from Waveland called the Fun Zone. Oh, yeah. Yep. I used to frequent that and lose my spare pocket change yep. a lot. I know. I've been there. I know, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, the owner used to come around, still had that little uh, change keeper on yep. his belt. You know? Yep. It's like, hey, I'm out of quarters. I got a dollar. Yep. Yeah, there. And um, uh, when I was a kid, too, I used to frequent Demon Dogs a lot. Yeah, Demon Dogs right underneath the L stop at Fullerton. Used to go there. That was the best. Oh, I used to go there all the time. I loved Demon Dogs. I, I, you get, you get off the stop right there. You smell the hot dog, yep. and then you go in there. You see all the Chicago memorabilia. Yep, that bad. place, that place was great. Anytime that I would get off at the Fullerton L, uh, at the, at that, at, at that Fullerton stop, that's I, I would go in and get, and, and get a hot dog. There's no, there's no question about. It. I loved Demon Dogs. That place was great. Yeah. You could not love that place. Yeah, I agree. I totally agree. I loved everything about it. I just thought it was a really cool place. And, and, and on top of that, I liked. I thought the location was awesome because it was like right under the L stop. And, um, you know, the interior was great, uh, all the Chicago stuff, and then the food. You can't argue with the food. The food was fantastic at that place. Some of the best fries I've ever had. Yeah, uh, yeah great hot dogs, too. Everything. Really good stuff. Oh, yeah. yeah, I missed that place. Okay, thanks, Joe. All right, you're welcome. Yep. Bye, Dave. Yeah, man, Demon Dogs. You never had a chance to go there, I don't think. No, right? I, well, I think they opened um, something else there. No, they expanded the they expanded the L stop. Oh right, no, it's it's not Demon Dogs, but there's um, is there? I always think of Devil Dogs. I, I I always confuse it. Yeah, it's not Demon Dogs. It's Devil. Yeah, Dogs, Devil right. Dogs. Yeah, it's in a different spot. Yeah, totally different spot. It's right near the Belmont L stop that yeah. I'm thinking of because I yeah. I go over there to the Belmont L stop all the time. That's where I get all. I've been to, I've, I've been to Devil Dogs. It's pretty good. Yeah. Now, what's the place that's west of Racine on Belmont? It, it, the, there's a hot dog joint that's just west of Racine on on uh, on Belmont. Oh, because God. when my ex-wife and I used to go to Cub games, we'd park like there to walk to the to walk to Wrigley, but we'd always stop at this place to get a hot dog. The hot dog's really good too. It's a storefront place right on Belmont, just west of Racine. If anyone knows, if you know, three one two nine eight one seven two hundred. What's the name of that hot dog place? Belmont west of Racine. Um, so if you know, 312-981-7200, it's on the, uh, south side of, uh, south side of the street on Belmont. 
So uh, here's Fran on WGN. Hi, Fran. Good morning. Hi. I used to work at Club Gigi in Lyons where they had Gogo Girls. Uh-huh. And Little, Little Richard and Wayne Cochran used to entertain there. Wow. Kind of a wild, wild place. Sounds like it. Boy, we get a lot, of, a lot of Little Richard stuff happening this morning on the show. <laughs> yeah. Yes, it was. It was pretty cool. And where was this place again? It was on Ogden Avenue in Lyons. Ah, no, okay. Ogden Avenue in Lyons. Yeah. Boy, that sounds like that sounds like there's a lot of great memories there for you. Well, Wayne Cochran used to have a deal with the owners. He would pick up like a bottle of Southern Comfort and walk across the tables and pour into everybody's glass, <laughs> and he paid for everything. Wow. But it was a wreck. But you know, it was like, oh, please don't come to my section. Yeah, please don't come to my section. Yeah, wow, but, that sounds uh, crazy. It's a wild place. It sounds like it. <laughs> All right, okay. Fran. Thanks for the good call. Night. Okay, take care. Well, good morning. Three one two nine eight one seven two hundred. So, uh, a developer with big plans to overhaul the dilapidated uh, Congress Theater has been hit with a twenty-four million dollars foreclosure lawsuit. The lawsuit, first reported by Crane Chicago, could spell trouble for the developer's multi-million-dollar redevelopment project, which aims to bring the nineteen twenties era landmark theater back to life. So, it, it might not happen, but uh, it's been sitting dormant for a very long time. The Congress Theater, we found out. Um, we found out that actually the Congress Theater is haunted when we had uh, a, a, a ghost uh, hunter on, that the Congress Theater uh, is haunted. I didn't know that. But, uh, yeah, so uh, so the Congress Theater might not be uh, seeing the light of day like they wanted to rejuvenate it and bring it back. Uh, and, and, and at this time, by the way, they can't open. You know, like all the venues are closed. And... Uh, so there you go. All right, uh, 312-981-7200. I'm going to go through and talk a little bit about some amazing abandoned places that no longer exist. And uh, we want to get uh, nostalgic here this morning. We love to talk about uh, the old days and get nostalgic on the show. It's a lot of fun to, to share those memories. Um, and if you have a place that you miss or uh, something that's closed, no longer around that you miss, that you wish was back, uh, we would love to hear you hear your story. Uh, call us right now at 312 uh, And uh, right now, let's get to the news. Right, Nick DeGilio here on 720 WGN. How are you? Um, yeah, we're live in the Skyline studio here on 720 WGN. We're here until 4 o'clock. At 4 o'clock, we head over to Bradley Place to the TV side of WGN. Our partner's over there. Get some uh, early morning news from them. And then Bob Surratt, the legend, has your morning drive at 5. 312-981-7200. That's the phone number. We're talking about some amazing abandoned places that no longer exist. I've got a story here from uh, Reader's Digest about some of these places uh, that aren't around anymore. And uh, we're, we're uh, remembering some local places that we, uh, that we used to go to that we love um, and that we miss. And if you want to uh, get nostalgic and talk to us, we would love to hear from you. 312-981-7200. Uh, here's Terry on WGN. Go ahead, Terry. Hey, Nick. Good morning. How are you? All right. What's up? Hey, I'm going to kill two birds with one stone. I can answer the question of the uh, the hot dog joint that you're talking about as well as 
uh, places that I miss that are no longer because it's the same place. Uh, Murphy's Red Hot. Oh, that's it, Murphy's. That's it's not it's not there anymore. It is not there anymore. They closed it about five, I want to say four or five years ago. Um, I read an interview with the Tribune, I believe, at the time. Uh, I think Dave was his, his name. I can't remember. But he just got tired of the grind, basically, and he just decided that he needed to do something else. He sold the space. And if I'm not mistaken, I don't drive by there that often anymore. But I think the last time I was by there, it was a branch of Bank of America. Oh, boy. So, and the hot dogs aren't nearly as good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we used to go to Murphy's. My, my ex-wife and I used to go to Murphy's every time we went to a Cub game. We would stop there before. It, it, it's a classic. I mean, there was lying out the door. It was worth the wait. Everything was terrific. Uh, the, the service was great. I yeah. mean, it was just... And the next thing I know, one day it was not there anymore, and he just decided to pack it in because he said, I, I've been doing this for, I think it was like 15 years at the time. Yeah. And he said it's, he was still very, you know, relatively young, you know, early 50s-ish, and he said, you know, there's got to be something else besides getting up at 5 o'clock in the morning and making hot dogs. Yeah. So, wow. That's too bad. I, that, place, that, that place was great. That place was great. It was that legendary. It was terrific. Yeah. Terrific. Yep. Thank you very much. Yeah. Okay. All right, Terry, thanks. All right. Take thanks, care. Nick. Take care. Yeah, Murphy's Murphy's Hot Dogs was a great hot dog joint. A really great hot dog joint. Yeah, that was a, that was a tradition when, when Heather and I used to go to Cub Games. Park, you know, near Belmont and Racine. Go to Murphy's. Get a dog and some fries. And then walk to Wrigley. Because you're going to pay $9 for a hot dog at Wrigley, so... May as well fill up on the hot dog before you go. <laughs> uh, let's see. Kathy's on WGN. Hi, Kathy. Hi, Nick. Hi. I'm very happy that your dad is home with your mom. He is. Again. He's doing well. Uh, that's wonderful. Yeah. Um, I am the same age as you, and I remember Dispenses, Castle oh, Toys, yeah. and Kitty Kingdom. Yeah. Uh, for for kids our age, that <laughs> was a fantasy yep. come true in Oak Brook. Yeah, no, that was a great place. I I, I vividly remember going there. We used to go there a lot, and I and it was it was just a really cool place. It really was absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and cool places. Did anyone mention uh, Old Chicago? Old already? Chicago. Yeah, we've talked about Old Old Chicago has come up on this show a lot. Many times, yeah. Yeah, because yeah. you know, like you, as you as you you know, we are the generation that went to old Chicago. That's right. <laughs> um, and, and, uh, and, you know, and went there, we went there a lot in the seventies and it was just a weird place. It was just, a, it was for people who don't know, it was a, it was an indoor amusement park with the first loop to loop roller coaster. It had a dome on top and it, the idea was that it had shops. So it was like a mall. And in the middle of the mall was this amusement park. And the idea was that the, the parents could go shopping while the kids rode all the rides. And it did not work out that way because they had no anchor stores. Um, you know what I mean? Like, like no, no, no Lord and Taylor, no Macy's, none of that stuff. And they were just these terrible shops that eventually would just, you know, slowly close down. Yeah, no Marshall Field. None of that stuff. <laughs> it had nothing, nothing. It was a weird place, right. old Chicago. Amazing, amazing that something that lasted such a short time would have such strong memories for us. Oh yeah, I mean we're we're the right we we are that generation, Kathy. If you're if you're my age, with the, you know, yes. if you're my age, you went to old Chicago. 
<laughs> so that was just it. Okay, I Kathy. loved that. Place. Yeah, I did too. Thank I you. thought it was fun. Thank you, yeah. Kathy. Yeah, yeah. And again, as I meant, every time I mention old Chicago, mm-hmm. I do want to mention that you can still relive a little bit of old Chicago if you watch Brian De Palma's The Fury, because there's a fantastic scene that takes place in old Chicago. I've actually got a, uh, I've got a commercial for old Chicago. For old Chicago. Oh, all right. It's for uh, the the amusement park ride, the Monster of the Midway. And these are Monster of the Midway testimonials. Okay. To find out about the new Monster of the Midway ride at Old Chicago, we ask the people who know. I rode on the Monster of the Midway, and now I can't sleep at night. (laughs) (laughs) I got a real charge out of it. (laughs) The new Monster of the Midway is just one of 40 rides and attractions at Old Chicago, now open every day for the summer. Wow. Old Chicago. Ooh. I like that little werewolf. Yeah, uh, there's subtitles to that, obviously. Oh, there is? Yeah, it it was definitely a hairy experience. Oh, of course. Yeah, old Chicago, man. It comes up pretty frequently on this show. I mean, it was it really made an impression on people. It was a very unique and weird place out there in Bolingbrook, and definitely um, represents a certain time period uh, for me, the seventies. So, and again, if you watch Brian De Palma's The Fury, there's a fantastic scene that takes place in Old Chicago. Just a great scene. Um, so, let's see, and it's also a good movie. The Fury. Any movie that ends with John Cassavetes exploding is all right by me. I just ruined the whole movie for everybody. But. Well, that, it would have made uh, Woman Under the Influence significantly better. <laughs> well, that's why that's why he would do those movies, so he could make his own. Yeah, which were amazing. Yeah, his movies were tremendous. But yeah, that I just... Husbands, man. A- Amy Irving, it's a, a phenomenal movie. Amy Irving blows up John Cassavetes with her psychic powers. Fantastic. And he blows up real good. Like they used to say on SETV. It blew up real good. Here's Ray on WGN. Hi, Ray. How you doing, Nick? All right. Yeah, go ahead. Bringing back a lot of memories. Yeah. How about Riverview Park? Yeah, you know what? I'm not I'm not uh I'm 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 not old enough to have gone there. I I was actually there when I was uh in my mother's womb. Yeah, my mom, actually, she told me this. She was pregnant with me, and she rode the parachute ride while pregnant with me. Oh, boy. Yeah. What a, what a treat. You'll remember that forever. Yeah, well, <laughs> exactly. But no, I mean, I, I can't tell you the number of times, you know, my my, my, uh, my parents have talked about Riverview. Um, oh, and, I, and it's amazing to me that it was at Belmont and Western. I mean, I just can't, right? I can't picture a giant amusement park at Belmont and Western. Yeah. So oh, it was a great place. We yeah, had a lot of fun there as kids. They had Penny Day and Two Cent Day, and yeah, and, uh, we spent a lot of time there. Yeah, a great place. But that's I, only one of many, many memories. Yeah, I've I just I've I've heard so many stories about Riverview, and I and I wish I could have gone there. You know, um, you know, uh, at some point before it closed down. But uh, I, I've seen pictures, I've seen film, um, and of course, you know, my parents and 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 people of their of their generation. I uh, had talked about it a lot. They talk about Riverview a lot. It was one of their favorite places. So I don't remember when it closed. It must have been about 1980, sometime around in there. Oh, no, 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 because I would have gone. It, 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 oh. It, oh, yeah. No, Riverview closed earlier than that. I can tell you. I think Riverview closed in the in maybe 
maybe the early 70s. Oh, well, yeah. I'm only 84 years old, I guess. <laughs> yeah, well, okay. So, All right, Ray, thanks. Yeah, okay, pal. Yeah, thank you. Uh, let's find out when Riverview closed. Then we can get the we can get the year. Tom, can you look up where Riverview when Riverview closed? Uh, we'll break here for the weather, and then we'll come back talk a little bit more about abandoned places and places that we miss. Three one two nine eight one seven two hundred here on seven twenty WGN. Uh, Nick DiGilio here on 720 WGN, and uh, we're live in the Skyline studio here in downtown Chicago here till 4 o'clock, and we're talking about uh, amazing abandoned places that no longer exist and places that we remember uh, that we wish were still around. 312-981-7200. That's the phone number. Here's Chris on WGN. Go ahead, Chris. Hey, good morning, Nick. How are you? All right. The place I miss is the amphitheater. The amphitheater. Yeah, I saw plenty of concerts there. I, uh, I grew up two blocks from there, and I remember being a kid, show parking, and all the vacant lots. Oh, they sure. Charge five or six bucks, we charged two or three. Yeah. Then you'd stand outside, listen to the concert. You'd have the circus one week, uh, monster trucks the next. Wrestling. Uh, they had wrestling at the end of the Wrestling, yeah. UFO, Black Sabbath, and Blue Oyster Cult. Yep. Yep. Yeah, every weekend was something different, man. It was a great place. You always had a buddy who worked there, so you knew what door you could sneak in. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. I you know, I that you bring up UFO and that's also one of my one 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 horrible thing that I always think about was that I had tickets for the show where they recorded Strangers in the Night. What a great album. And I couldn't go because I was sick. My parents wouldn't let me go. I had like a hundred and three fever, so I missed I missed that concert. Uh. It was I I remember like I said, two blocks away and it was like you were sitting right there. It was so loud. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Amphitheater was a cool place. I enjoyed that venue. And the artwork. That's the one thing I wish they would have kept and restored was because the artwork that was left on the wall that people would draw Yeah, was absolutely amazing. Yeah, yeah. No, that was a great place. I remember, yeah, I saw Steve Martin there, too. Oh, wow. Yeah, Steve Martin at the amphitheater. It was pretty great. Sold the place out, too. All right, yeah, Chris, thanks. Place is what was its demise, man. Yeah. Thanks, man. Yeah. Right, have a great morning. Okay, take care. Yeah, McCormick Place. Mm. But, yeah. Um, International Amphitheater? Yeah. Rush did their four night stand there, nineteen eighty one. I that's where I that's, that's where I got saw him. that's on, where right? I got puked on. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. where I got puked on. Yeah, that's crazy. God, I though. thought that was I thought that was the stadium. Nah, international amphitheater. Okay, yeah, February twenty sixth through the twenty eighth, yep. nineteen eighty one. That's about it. That sounds about right. Because I remember, you know, the guy puked on my leg, so I had to go upstairs to the I had to go to the bathroom and like stick my leg in the sink to rinse off my pants and my shoe. Mm-hmm. And it was freezing out when we walked back to the car because I remember, <laughs> like, I, my pants were stuck to my leg. Yeah. Oh boy. Yeah. That's quite a memory right there. You don't forget when someone throws up on you. No, I don't think anybody's ever thrown up on me at a concert. But uh, a guy, I went to see this band called Sleigh Bells. <laughs> yeah. No. Don't let the name fool you. Uh-huh. Um, one of the loudest concerts I've ever been to. Uh, but this guy was just like freaking out, having a great time. And, you know, beers, the beer was in like plastic cups and I'm standing there. We're all just, you know, having a great time. And he throws the beer and it hits me straight in the chest. And I look down and I look at him 
and we look at each other, and then we embraced, and then continued dancing. Okay, that's weird. Yeah, but it was a beautiful moment, man. Did I t- ever tell you that I knocked Sebastian Bach on his ass? Why would you do that? Because he was being a jerk. You knocked Sebastian Bach? Yep. From uh, Skid Row? Yep. What'd he do? Um, we were, I mean, I'm, I'm trying to remember what show it was. It was a live taping of Gilmore Girls. No, no, no. <laughs> it was like a, it might've been Soundgarden. I can't remember, but, but there was a mosh pit and we were on the, we were on the floor and he was knocking people over in the mosh pit. Like he was like being actively idiotic. He was, I don't know what he was doing there. I, maybe they were in town they played the night before or something. But uh, but he was being a real jerk. I mean, because there there you know, there is um, an unspoken agreement about the behavior in a mosh pit. You know this. Oh yeah. If someone falls over, you pick them up. You pick them up. Right. You give them a pat on exactly. the back. Exactly. Keep going. No elbows. Right. Well, he was doing all of that. Sebastian so from behind, so from behind, I knocked him on his ass, <laughs> and I got cheered. People cheered me. He's a big guy too. Maybe they didn't just didn't like Skid Row. I'm assuming that because it was it was a show. I can't, I wish I could remember what band it was. It was a show where the fans at this show would not go to a Skid Row show. You know what I mean? They wouldn't be caught dead at a Skid Row show. But I wish I could remember what band it was. I it, I, I it was something in the you know in the realm of Soundgarden, that kind of thing. But yeah, Stone Temple Pilots wasn't Stone Temple Pilots. Although I did see Stone Temple Pilots uh, a, uh, a few times. Wyland was one of the best frontmen ever. He truly was one of the best frontmen ever. Getting out that megaphone. <laughs> uh, here's Squat on WGN. Go ahead, Squat. Pleasure to talk to you, Nick. Again, yeah. Um, uh, you remember the era of the dinner theater? Of course. Candlelight, uh, candlelight dinner theater in Summit. Yeah, it was a Summit. My, yep. my 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 folks for their for my twenty first birthday took me to the Saber Room to see uh, Count Basie and his orchestra. Oh, that's pretty I cool. Yeah, I can't remember where I can't remember where I got a placard frame of it downstairs, but I can't remember where that was at. But um, yeah, Tom, look up the Tana, Tom, look up the Saber Room. We'll find out where where it was located, but yeah, the candlelight and the, it was the candlelight theater, the candlelight dinner theater, and the forum. Um, that was the smaller that was the smaller venue located next to the candlelight uh, dinner theater. Uh, the Saber Room was at uh, eighty nine hundred ninety fifth Street in Hickory Hills. In Hickory Hills, that's yeah. that Southwest or Southwest yeah, Southwest? yeah, Hickory Hills squad. Okay, yeah, okay. So. All right, that's, that's all I got. All right, I thanks, squad. See you. And uh, by the way, you asked uh, before the break. You wanted to know when um, old Chicago? No, uh, fair. Oh, Riverview. Yeah, Riverview. R- uh, Riverview closed, closed in nineteen sixty-seven. Sixty-seven. Nineteen sixty-seven. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds about right. I would have been two, so there's no way that I I would have been able to go there. How about the Enchanted Forest Amusement Park? It opened one month after Disneyland in nineteen fifty-five, and it was located in uh, Maryland. People loved it, and it's gone. That's a tough break. Olympia Stadium in Detroit. Opened in 1927. They called it the Old Red Barn. <laughs> I, I've been there. I've been there. Saw a couple of Red Wings games there. That place was a dump.
And that's just because the Red Wings played there. Well, that's exactly right. How about Bedrock City? Uh, the home of the Flintstones? It says, ever since Bedrock City opened on Route 66 just outside of Williams, Arizona in 1972, a large sign featuring cartoon favorite Fred Flintstone has welcomed people to the unusual campground. It closed in September. It closed in, uh, they, they closed it um, in, in uh, summer of, 19, of 2019. Oh, I would love to stay there. Camp at Bedrock? Come on, man. Sounds like a good time. Yeah. You get to blow the horn and slide down the back of a dinosaur's tail into your car. <laughs> Let out a little yabba-dabba-doo exactly. for all the fans. Order a big side of beef and have the car tip over. <laughs> <laughs> a T-bone steak the size of your entire body. Exactly. <laughs> put, it on the, put it on the tray on the window, car flips over. And then celebrate with a couple Chesterfields around the back. Yeah, have a couple of Chesterfields. <laughs> what, no, Winston. Oh, it was Winston. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Fred oh, and yeah. Barney were, were, were Winston. Ooh. It was v- Vincent Price who was Chesterfield. Yeah, Vincent Price. Plugging the Chesterfield cigarettes. My God. All right. Uh, yeah, it's always fun to look back on places that we miss and have some fun doing that. And uh, those uh, celebrity endorsement stories were really fun. Some of them were really funny. So, all right. Uh, what's coming up? You're not going to be here tomorrow. Not going to be here. We'll have our you, regular... Fr- no, we won't. No Friday features. We have but, dummies. We will do dummies. Yeah, you got dummies. You got Herb Weisbaum, and then you've got the author of a new book, No Ketchup. That's right. No Ketchup. It obviously ranks some of the best hot dog places in and around the uh, area. It's a terrific book. Terrific book. And we'll talk with them about No Ketchup. Uh, you have a great weekend. Thank you. Thank you. And enjoy, uh, enjoy the company of your mother over the weekend.